This is the Joy of Geek. Welcome to the Joy of Geek podcast. I am Rich Lapore. Jordan Alseka. Kevin Schaefer. And today we are going to be doing a list of the best movies of 2019. Um, yes, we're doing it in April. Jordan, take it away. Tell them what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, we did our Bloodshot episode and had a lot of fun just kind of getting back to it because... Nothing else going on, and, you know, we just kind of were like, yeah, it's April, but uh, the world's on fire, and nothing matters. So let's just do our film episode, because <laughs> it's it's fun, it's something to talk about, and it's not like there are um, a lot of new movies to talk about. There are still some. Uh, there's some, you know, video-on-demand releases are still coming out, um, but... You know, we, we, we've probably been revisiting a lot of the films from last year that are coming to streaming services. I know my list, from what I made personally back in December, has changed a little bit because of the movies I've seen since then. Um, and it's a chance we don't always get. We always lament that we don't get to see all the movies we want to in, in the year prior because, you know, by December it's like not everything's out yet. You can't necessarily afford to go to the theater. Um, but I think now I, I've kind of seen every 2019 film I wanted to see. Uh, I don't know that I've necessarily – I haven't seen them all. I mean, there's too many movies in a year, but we kind of figured, yeah, why not? Let's just talk about our favorite films of the year. Uh, this, I mean, it's as much for us as anything. I know I always love having this, like, record to look back to to think about my favorite movies of the year, and I think you guys feel the same Absolutely. way. Absolutely. I mean, that's, oh, yeah. the big, that's the thing about podcasts is they're an amazing diary of sorts. Um, and also to get to, to open conversations with people, you know, people that we know that listen to the podcast. I love them saying, oh, man, I can't believe you said this about that movie or whatever. And it starts up other conversations. So um, just really love uh, opening conversation about a lot of these different topics. And it gives us a reason to dive a little bit deeper into some of the, the movies of last year that we maybe didn't have an opportunity to talk about. That's the other thing about podcasts, right? They kind of facilitate conversations that you wouldn't normally have. And I think that's one of the reasons we like lists so much, especially best of the year lists, is because they lead you to discuss things that you may never have discussed. Like, I don't know that we ever would sit down and start talking. Maybe we would. But I don't know yeah. that we ever sit down and start talking about marriage story. I think we actually have. But but you get my point. We certainly wouldn't. Eh, you know what? This point is falling apart. But my but what I'm trying to say here is it's In really. In general, like other people might not. Yeah, we would do because this is what we did on New yeah. Year's here yes. but we're, we're a special group of people but something um, something like that i want to i want to piggyback on uh, what jordan said and say that my, myself even less than both of you um i'm a i'm a tv and and video games first and then sort of film after that um consumer of media so i've probably seen even less of the films that i need to see of 2019 but i still have a nice solid list uh coming out of that kevin what are your thoughts when you were putting your list together yeah, so this was a lot of fun because, like, um, you know, I had seen uh, almost all of the Best Picture nominees. I mean, I, like, I don't really care as much about the Oscars, though this year was really fascinating just because of the results and how well Parasite did and all these. And it was a really fascinating year. But uh, making this list was a lot of fun because, as you said, Rich, it's like these are not necessarily, like, the critically best movies of the year. These are our personal favorites. And it's really fun. And like you said, documenting that like that because... I had to really think of like, um, cause I mean, yeah, I think I see the most, mo definitely the most movies in theaters. 
out of the three of us and then um and then stream a lot as well so i had a good thing a, a good chunk to pull from and it was really fun picking my top three and also looking at these other categories I think looking at my list, like some are going to coincide with the Oscars a little bit. Others are totally like I think like one of my top three was um, not on like anyone's list. And it kind of annoys me because I think it's like a hidden gem of 2019. But um, but yeah, so this is I mean, I think I'm the biggest movie buff of the three of us. And yeah, so this is something I always look forward to. And it's a lot of fun, especially in a time like this where everything's crazy. Why not? Let's look back at 2019 and, and, and celebrate oh, and celebrate film and celebrate, especially some of the movies we actually did get to go to theaters to see. Absolutely, um, yeah. You know, in a year when when you know things things are very different, um, right? In that sense, what was it like putting your list together, Jordan? I actually still had a list. Um, I made one back in um, December that was, you know, just because we had. Um, I don't even know why I did it. I just kind of yeah. wanted to do it because I made my own list. So I had like a full list of all the movies I'd seen. And I added some of the movies I've seen since then. Broke down the categories a bit more. There were some uh, there were some tough ones I added in, some that we talked about. Some changes did happen uh, from, from my original list. And that comes down to some of the movies I've seen since then. Uh, and just it, uh, it was... It's always fun. I like looking back. I like seeing a full list of like all the movies. I think I've got like 40 movies on here that I saw. But some of those are Netflix originals. Some I didn't see till home release, but Yeah, Still, that was uh, another thing. Oh, uh, I was going to say real quick is um even with the amount I saw last year, there were still a couple I didn't see until recently um that are streaming now. And so that's been one of the nice things of quarantine is being able to catch up on some of those too, you know? So oh, cool. I, 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 you've, you've already laced in a couple different sort of teasers about your list that I'm, that have me really curious now. So yeah. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm very eager to hear about, um, especially like the hidden gem that's on nobody else's list. And, and, uh, some of these movies you've caught up on recently that maybe we haven't had a chance to talk about yet. Um, yeah. So that will, right. that will certainly be cool. Um, yeah. all right. So, yeah. And I would say that for me, like I said, you know, my list, I'm I'm torn about movies, you know. I I love movies. I think that they're great when I'm when I'm in the throes of a great movie. Um, I'm I'm really you know enjoying it. And actually, I allow you guys to pull me to theaters more often than I would probably go anyway. Um, on account of the fact that once I get there, it's hard to commit to a three-hour movie for me. And I don't have a short attention span. I just did like a 12-hour puzzle, just like focus like you wouldn't believe on this this lost mystery of the hatch secret puzzle that I had lying around here. And loved it, <laughs> focused on it, and proved to myself that I don't have ADD in a, in a huge way. So it isn't that. But there's something about a three-hour-plus commitment in movie theaters these days that's harder for me as I, as I, as I get older. Um, when I was younger, movies were everything, you know. Uh, Jurassic Park came out, and I saw it in theaters, not to age myself, the original. And um, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movies, and, you know, even Schindler's List I saw in theaters. Like, I was all about it in that sort of golden age of Spielberg and all of those things. I wanted to be a director. I did my reports at school on, on Spielberg. You know, I think a lot of people have kind of that phase, and for some people that phase never ends. But, but you know, it's so it, it's just a, as other media have become more important to me, um, it's gotten a little bit in the back seat. But there's a certain magic when you're watching a movie and you're loving it and it really grips you. So that's why I'm glad that I have friends that are huge film buffs that get me into the seat. Um, and then I end up having fantastic experiences as a result. So my list is uh, is going to be interesting as a result of, of my sort of unique take on, on movies and, and current day for me. Um, all Very right, nice. 
with that said, we are going to go ahead and get started. Jordan, what is the order uh, we're going through today for um, the episode? So we're going to take break down kind of into categories like we've done in the past. And, you know, things always shift a little. But we're going to start with some of the more technical stuff. So cinematography and director. Then we're going to hit you with our number three pick. Uh, we're going to go after that to actor, actress, and, you know, the, what we usually do with these rewards, we're going to do a bonus one where we all just kind of come up with sort of an off-the-cuff, something we wanted to, maybe a movie we wanted to recognize that didn't find itself elsewhere on the list in some way, but a bonus kind of category, and then everyone will kind of riff off of that. Then we'll hit our number two pick, uh, and then we'll go with our old standbys of surprising, most disappointing, and worst film of uh 2019, which I think will have some discussion going on with that. Uh, and then uh, we'll, of course, have some honorable mentions if we haven't already talked about those movies elsewhere on the list and finish it up with our number one. Excellent. Sounds good. Um, why don't Jordan, why don't you start with cinematography? Sir? All right. So um, this was a category. This was an easy one for me. Um, and it's not always because I think. It, it, it didn't used to be something I noticed a lot with cinematography, just because I feel like, not that it's if it's good it's invisible, but if it's if it's good it's pulling you in and you're you, you're not necessarily I don't think should be noticing the craft the first time out unless you're being really technical. I feel like a good movie pulls you in. Um, but that said, some movies really do just very clearly have a, a great command of like how they look and how things are set up. And for me, there was no movie that looked better in terms of its shots, in terms of, like, its technical detail this year than The Lighthouse. Um, it, it's just a gorgeous movie. Um, it's set... Is it really? Uh, yeah, it's it's everything squared off, so it's it's like a square... I forget the exact as, as, aspect ratio. I think it's four it was, by three. I think it's, like, old-school TV ratio or something like that. It's something in that area, but, yeah, it's squared off. There's black bars on either side of the screen. It's... But it's also just the shot compositions are great. The way it sets up, like, the divisions between the characters, the angles on different things, the the oppression of the storms that hit this island, um, the more dreamlike sequences. Everything just looks great. And part of that is dire direction um, because I know that uh, – and now I'm going to completely forget his uh, name – but the director was very involved with – you know, Robert how Eggers. the is going to look. Yeah, Eggers, yeah. He's very much a throwback director in the sense that if you look at both of his films, they're like speaking to a very specific time in film history and how those films were shot and the kinds of stories that they were telling. Um, and he's very much clearly a student of film history and he brings that to his movies and he makes uh, he makes a case for why like a lot of older movies get forgotten because they're not of the time. But this is the sort of movie that makes me want to check out more movies of like earlier eras and more black and white and fifties, forties era movies that, because you could do a lot. And there was like a stage play element to this film where it's just these two actors and they're going back and forth. And it's all about that character relationship. And the cinematography sells so much of it just in, in the oppression, in the darkness, in the mood. And, and that, that was why for me, it was the clear winner for this. That's, that's interesting. So by the way, I'm completely wrong. It's 1.19 to one ratio. Yeah. I knew it was something very weird. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's weird. Um, anyway, the, the thing about this and it's shot on 35 millimeter black and white film and it's supposedly really grainy. I haven't seen it. I don't want to subject myself to it, but maybe after hearing you talk about it, maybe I should give it a shot. Tim is also absolutely a friend of the show. Tim absolutely raves about this movie. He was just like, we were walking through Best Buy one day and he just went off for 10 or 15 minutes about Neptune, King of the Sea and how brilliant this movie is. 
Um, yeah. And and you know it's it's hard for me to to look at a film that that I, I haven't seen it, so I, none of this is founded. But from the previews and from hearing all the hype about how essentially like when they were filming it, they had like this super bright light on all the time, and the actors felt like they were like being beaten down on, and they're rambling in like these weird dialects that make no sense. Maybe they make sense, maybe they don't. But just like. It's almost like a movie, like being artful just to be artful. But apparently, people whose opinion I respect, yours and Tim's, um, it, it it comes those weird, disparate, what I would almost consider being weird just to be weird elements do come together into some to a great composition. So it'll be no, interesting to see it. That's what surprises me. You know, that, yeah, that's the strength. It's not just old for old sake. It is all in purpose to furthering like the themes and the feel of the movie so it's not just a a a trick because i want to do a trick it it it's purposeful and I, I think that's why i liked it so much nice nice cool i'll have to give that a chance at some point uh it is painful to watch right it's a lot of, it's suffering for like an hour and a half no i it it, it engrossed me that's all i can really say well, it's not fair. not that but it's it pulls you in I, I'm with you. I know how I know how that is, and that is a good word for it. You know, we often on this podcast and in other t- conversations talk about like how do you how do you talk about a movie like Joker, right? Like how do you how do you discuss a movie that is is painful in many ways to watch, but like and you can't say you enjoyed it, but there is inherent quality there, and that that's debatable too. But but you get my point is is that. You know, what do you call it when you like a movie, even though you don't enjoy a movie? Yeah, I don't know. It's hard. It's it's hard to find words for that. I think engrossing is a really good word for it. You almost get like a, a, a yeah. It's engrossing. Anyway, enough said. Cool, Kevin. What do you got? All right. Well, this guy. And by the way, I do want to see the lighthouse. That's one I've not gotten to yet. But um, but yeah, I. I'm, Did that, you like that, the witch? So. The what? The witch. Yeah, it's like that, and I, I am intrigued by the concept of Lighthouse, and especially, Jordan, hearing you talk about that, I definitely want to check it out. Did but. you like The Witch, Jordan? I'm sorry to interrupt. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, I like The Witch. I did not like it as much as The Lighthouse, um, but I'm also not the biggest, like, old-timey, full-core fan. Yeah. But uh, it was it was still a very good movie, and I love Anya Taylor-Joy, so she was great in it. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right, Our, sorry, oh. man. No worries. Uh, for this category, I am going to have to agree with the Oscars 100%. Um, Roger Deakins' work in 1917 is just beautiful. From time. And, and it's, I mean, we've given him this honor before with Blade Runner 2049. Every movie he touches, he knows how to immerse the viewer. And not e- it's not even just the fact that the movie is edited as if it were a single shot. It's just the way he moves the camera and um, knows exactly where to put it, whether it's focusing in on um, the two main soldiers or moving it out and showing them, you know, going through the bunkers and um, into enemy territory. It's just one of the most engrossing war films I've ever seen. And and I think it's a trait of a lot of Sam Mendes movies is he knows how to pick really good cinematographers um, with American Beauty and Road to Perdition, which I actually just watched recently for the first time. Um, that is also a gorgeous looking movie. That movie's really good. Yeah, and he used the same cinematographer. I'm drawing a blank on his name for uh, American Beauty and Road to Perdition, but and then he did Skyfall, and he knows how to make his movies just look really good. And so Roger Deakins' work is just phenomenal here. Um, and you know, I mean, they're like, um, and it's a, it's a very solid movie. I remember Rick, you were asking me when I um, when I saw it if it lived up to all the hype. You know, I mean, I it wasn't like my favorite movie of the year, but I think it's a really excellent war film. And um, you know, it's 
one of the things where it's not gimmicky in its use of the whole one shot yeah. thing. It does a really good it makes a really good use of that and it makes you really feel like you're in the middle of everything going on and it's a very simple plot, but it's a character driven story and the cinematography make enhances that all the more. So I definitely give it to Deacons there. Nice. Nice. Yeah, I actually just looked it up just for your benefit. Uh, Conrad Hall is that cinematographer you were talking about. Just to, just to yeah. give him the shout out, he clearly deserves. I love American Beauty, and I didn't know he did yeah. that, obviously, or um, Road to Perdition, yep. but that's a great movie as well. Cool. Yep. Um, so, my... Um, are you done? I am, yep. Okay, cool. So, my um, pick for, par- for cinematography is... Um, I'm going to try to say the name. It's Hong Kyung Pyo uh, for Parasite. Um, that movie, uh, I don't want to gush about it too much, but that movie, the, the house, um, and then the city streets with the water rushing down during the flood. Um, there are so many images in that movie that I remember vividly in a way that I don't remember images from movies in almost anything else. Um, there is... Uh, I'll give you an example. You know that scene where there – everybody knows that scene at this point. But that scene where um, the, the the family, the um, under the lesser privileged family I would call them um, <laughs> to, as a huge understatement, um, the uh, – and, and the, the – I guess the – what do you call that? That poison that comes in the window. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Jordan, what do you call that? Um, Sewage? I, no, I can't even no, think no, no, of that. No, no. No, uh, when the uh, when they're gonna uh, um, when you're sh- when you're trying to get rid of bugs. Oh um, the oh 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 shoot, fumigation. Yes, and they and, and they're la- joking about hey wait leave the windows open we'll get free fumigation and then the fumes start coming in and that table that they're sitting at uh, folding pizza boxes and that street and the views and the girl going into the bathroom when the flood is happening to reach up and get her cigarette pack out of the ceiling. Um, the, the, the hatch to use it to, for lack of a better word that, that exists underneath this house. I got a lot of tones of lost hatch. I'm sure that wasn't, um, I'm sure that, that there were some cues taken from the hatch from lost for the under, underside of that home. Um, the way that it looks, the claustrophobia, the, the architecture of the house. I watched some videos on like how they found that house and how they put all that together. Um, the colors, the brightness, everything from a, from a visual perspective, that movie uh, is just a series of just beautiful, perfectly conceived shots. So, anyway, no, absolutely, c- cinematography. Um, also, just to make sure we name everybody, uh, the cinematographer for the Lighthouse is Jaron Blaschke. Blaschke, I'm not sure yeah. <laughs> it's how to pronounce it, but yeah, nice, nice, very cool. All yeah, right. no, just um, to add to that real quick, Rich. I I remember like when Young and I were talking about Parasite, and it's just I like he's it's in moments like that where even there's so much like unpleasant things going on, it's still so engrossing, and like it like it's weird to say that something like a scene like that looks beautiful when there's like literal like a crap you know filling the screen, and it's just like you're watching all this devastation unfold, but it, and horror and everything. But you can't take your eyes away. And yeah, so so for me, actually, and we'll talk about this more if it comes up again. Uh, for me, though, the thing that I like about that movie is the fact that at every moment, as bad as it gets, there's always, like, a humorous note. Uh, yeah, there, exactly. But, yeah. but I get your point, especially, like, the fumigation scene and the flood scenes right, in particular. Right. Those scenes yeah. in particular are it's, – it's very hard to call that beautiful, but yet. Yeah, exactly. 
Cool. Um, how do we usually do the rotation? Do we just go back and keep we'll rotating? Go back one. Uh, so next up would be Kevin to start. Awesome. Okay. So I'm director. Director. Okay. Well, on the parasite note, I mean, I'm not gonna. I promise I won't gush about parasite too much either because we all know it's phenomenal. But um, I have to get best give best director to Bong Joon. Who is that? Who, I'm I'm horrible if I'm pronouncing it wrong. Um, but Jordan, do you know how to pronounce? Uh, uh, not off the top of my head. Okay, it's all good. But. Uh, but um, but I mean, so along those lines of what we were just saying, the way he fuses comedy, horror, thriller, mystery, all of these elements so seamlessly together and to make that experience happen is just the mark of a wonderful filmmaker. And so, um, you know, and I you know, like I haven't seen all of his films before, but I really love Snowpiercer and um and you know i mean of course i heard all the buzz about parasite i'm thankful i got to see it in theaters rich and i saw it earlier this year we didn't get to see it um when it came out initially but we saw it i think like right before the oscars so that was good um and yeah and it's just like i mean everything about that movie um it's just you know i mean it's it one i like i'm definitely gonna see again i don't know if i'm gonna watch over and over and over again but like it is just one of those experiences that you can't get out. And that is all, I mean, his work as the director and co-writer of that movie, um, just it's just an inexplicable vision he has. And the way he ties themes of social class and ties it into a really engaging narrative is just phenomenal. Like, it's the, the kind of movie you come out entertained and also you're talking about the themes and everything. And, um, and yeah, so I... I definitely give best director him. Um, a close second would be Taiki Watiti. Nice. nice. Yeah. Mm. Cool. Okay. So I'm going to go in a very different direction with my director pick. It wouldn't be hard to give it to Parasite, obviously, but I don't want to gush about that in every category. Right, um, I I could easily give it to Ryan Johnson. Um, there's a, There were a lot of really good directorial visions. I'm sure a lot of people would give it to... Tarantino this year. There's, there's so much, uh, so many auteur directors working uh, and doing great work this year. Uh, I'm going to go in a very different direction, though. Um, I'm always trying hard to put my finger on why I respect and appreciate the Marvel movies so much. Um, and I think Endgame really um, sort of embodies that the why I'm in such awe when I see these movies. The tone of, again, mixing action set pieces and comedy and character work, like genuine character work with long 10 movie arcs um, that all, you know, it mostly stay consistent. I'm not saying it's like perfection or anything, but it's it's all just done so artfully. And yes, a lot of that is down to Kevin Feige, but I think a lot of credit uh, for Endgame and then obviously um, Infinity War has to go to Anthony and Joe Russo, who are are balancing uh, just hundreds of balls are just you know juggled in the air when they're making those movies. And then let's not forget they're involved in post production. You know they're involved in making sure their vision is realized through music and through sound and through. I mean they're not specifically doing those things, but that they they overall direct the the absolute undertaking that is um, in this case um, Endgame and I just think that what they bring together in those three hours is it, it just deserves tremendous respect and credit um, it's the big what is it the greatest the highest grossing movie of all time and yet they'll probably never be called best directors um, 
So that's what I've decided to use my director category to honor is the amazing juggling act that it is to bring together uh, a movie like Endgame, which by no means is like a favorite movie of mine, but it's a fantastic <laughs> movie, and there is no arguing um, that it was just executed brilliantly. So that's my pick. That's fair. No, nah, it's a great pick. Yeah. What do you got, right. Jordan? So I always the tech the more technical ones are usually tricky for me because I feel like what who who do I like because on one level I'm like is it, do I give it to my best movie because obviously the director is such a big part of that but yeah. then uh, you know I don't always necessarily lean that way so I tried to to spread the love a little uh, to some of the movies that maybe didn't quite make other positions on the list uh, so for me I went with. Um, I, I just put. Let me make sure I get both their names. Um, because I put the brothers, which might already tell you which movie. Oh, yeah, is yeah, okay, yeah. Um, I don't know how to say it either, but I know what you're talking about. Yes. Well, it's the. I'm, I'm going to find both their names, but I, I gave it to the Safdie brothers for uncut gems. Yeah. Um, Josh and Benny Safdie. Uh, they they obviously were involved in this movie very heavily at every level. Um. Because, you know, they also um, they were on the, the screen wrote it. And then, yeah, like Rich was saying, directors involved in every step of the process. But I I never want to see Uncut Gems again <laughs> because it's 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 just a two hour heart attack. It's it's just a panic. It's just a panic attack. It's like painful. It's stressful. But it's so masterfully made like it. it there are so many movies of its ilk where it's like trying to show all this chaos and it just feels overwhelmingly like a mess and like a, a noise. But they keep this movie so grounded in the fact that uh, Adam Sandler's, you know, in a career best performance is playing this absolute lech and terrible dude. But you, you kind of want to see him win. You're like you, you get pulled into his struggle. You get pulled into all of his arguments and fights. And, and again, it's just throughout this whole movie is just this pressure cooker of so much stress that just never never backs off um and the fact that it stays engaging that it doesn't overstay its welcome that it uh doesn't just overwhelm you it, it's so impressive they're you know obviously they've been a pair to watch on the indie scene for so long this feels like the movie that's finally going to get them way more attention um and it's it's a worthy movie like this movie kind of came out of nowhere for me but they've always been really good at what they do um I, I can i can be honest today i've not paid attention to them like always i'm not always like oh what are, what are the safties doing next but now i will be do they have and this lots movie, of movies I, I remember good time they, they have a few others i mean they've been working for a long time um it's like a lot of indie directors though they've been making doing work for a while um but yeah no i just really enjoyed is the wrong word, but liked, respected Uncut Gems. I'm glad I saw it. It's a very good movie, but man, is it stressful. And the the fact that they can do they they pull they pull it off is so impressive to me. And I just feel like their their work on that should be uh, given recognition. Cool, nice, sounds good. I, I have to dive into their world at some point. Um, I just you know as somebody who's already kind of anxious, I don't know how much I'm going to be able to take it, but it's see. it's it's real stressful. Good time is like their last big one, and obviously they had you know um oh my god, Pattinson, yeah. Did you see Good Time? Yes. What is how is that one? Is that a better first one for me or? It's 
I, I would say, yeah, if you just want to dip your toe in that. Like, again, Uncut Gems is just so stressful. Like, it, it, it's, it's, it's a very unique experience, but it definitely feels like one of their films. So I would say check out Good Time. I think it's on Netflix right now. Yeah, I think I, I think uh, Uncut Gems is on Prime or something too. I think I saw mm. it pop up. That'd be good too. Yeah. Uh, all right. Is that that's everyone for director, right? Uh, I yeah. believe so. Yeah. All right. So, Rich, you are up with your number three favorite film. Okay. Um. Oh, it's favorite. Ooh, that's troublesome. Um. The reason I say that is because so this is a movie that I that's going to surprise both of you to hear me say this. Um. I watched this movie for a second time and appreciated it a whole lot more the second time when I wasn't in pain because I was because I already knew what was going to happen so I could just enjoy the artfulness of it. Um, so I don't still don't know if I can call it my favorite top three favorite, but I think I would call it top three best, and I'm going to have to make that distinction here. Um, and 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 that is Joker. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah, I came, I, I came around on this. I came around on this. Go ahead. What were you going to say, Kev? Oh, I was saying, I know Jordan's gonna, uh, got a reaction here. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I had, a very, I had a very bad reaction to that movie when I first saw it. Um, my thought on that movie was, why does this exist? Um, here is a movie that is essentially bleakness for two hours, um, it's very violent, it's brutal, it's, you know, it's just, it's dark, there's nothing really that fun about it, it's not very satisfying, um, so none of those things, for those, re and also, I'm not a big, like, movies as social commentary guy, um, me personally, not as much, and I, when I mean that social commentary, I, I'm, let me rephrase that, political social commentary. I try to like, I, I like my entertainment to be about more like social issues and people issues, um, and less political issues, so the statement it may or may not be making on, you know, funding and violence and, you know, um, you know, uh, funding, uh, psychology, uh, you know, psychological health, and those are all issues that I care a lot about. But I, I, I tr you know, that's that's not what I generally praise movies for. So that isn't what I'm, what I'm praising here. Um, but I watched it the second time with somebody that was going through some some tough stuff, and had a, and that person had a lot of trouble um, watching things that were stressful or anxiety producing or anything like that. Um, and when I watched this with that person, they. It, it, it almost was uplifting for them um, in a way where you just sort of – there's something almost humorous in this crazy lunatic on the screen, you know, acting out and doing his dances and that music and I don't know. It's just this experience that I had with, with this person that was going through a lot of, of tough stuff and watching this movie. It just gave me a new appreciation for a way to, to look at it. Um, also, the music – um, we're not talking about music in this, but the music in, the, in in this episode. But the music is amazing, and the and the tone and the setting that it gives this movie. I just think it's a really great, really important movie, even though I don't love it that much. So that's why I gave it my top three spot with a lot of caveats. What do you got, Jordan? Uh, well, I'll 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 give some thoughts just because I don't have this movie. This movie, so Joker barely uh. 
it escaped worst movie of the year for me just because there were two other movies that were just like on every level worse mm-hmm. uh, as opposed. But I, I think Joker is just um, I, I think it's just a vapid, self-indulgent film. I think it's very it wants to be important without having anything like actually worthwhile to say. And I think when you hear Todd Phillips talk about the movie, it's very clear how inherently like. Man, the white man has it tough these days trying to be funny, uh, edge to it. And I just think it's a very, you know, it's technically impressive in that, yes, like cinematography, scoring. You know, there are top people that work on this film, but like narratively, it is just like, yeah, it's it's trying to ape Scorsese. It doesn't do it a good job. And it's, you know, at best, you know, sophomorically a whatever existence and that's kind of how i feel about that one um fair enough but again where you similar thoughts i don't hate it as much but i don't really like you know i think again the score is amazing performance but similar to what jordan said i just don't think it like i agree that it's trying to be like this you know so important the guy that maybe and really he said he made it because um he was afraid to make a comedy and I, i don't that's that's I, like you guys are both on that man like yeah that's a, that was just a dumb comment the guy made, not, but I'm let's not, separate the think, art let's separate the art like, a little bit you really think that that movie is specifically a commentary about that i mean i don't think it's just like i'm just saying like he said that oh i can't make a comedy i'm gonna try to make a really important like kind of thing and i just don't think he was the right person to make if he really wanted to make a you know a movie like this that takes you know a comic book and explores mental health and all this stuff like i don't think he was the right person to do it so I don't and think I, he wanted to make a comic book movie he just i mean he actually no, said I think and he this took... could be and this could be bullshit but he literally said in interviews that i think i heard on fresh air um that he figured the only way to get this movie made was to just call it a joker movie and it essentially isn't even really one right i think i think there is merit to death of the author but i also think if you're looking at intention, he's been very clear about like, yeah, what his struggles are. And when you're making a movie that you think is important, you're probably trying to shine light on issues that have affected you. And I think those are the issues he has had. I think that's what comes through on the screen. I yeah, think I don't I don't I don't get that message from it. But I, I get I get your point. I, I definitely remember that that comment resonating really hard. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off, Jordan. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say if if not that and I think that's fair. If you want to, again, death of the author, just take the movie for what it is. What do you think it is about? Um. I think he wanted to make a period film about, you know, psychological illness. But by the way, by the way, I'm not arguing that that it you you know what my response was when I got out of the movie. I thought it was pointless. I was like, why did I get subjected to that for two hours? This feels pointless. But the visuals and the acting and the music conveys a tone that at the end struck me really as as important. By the time by the time I was done seeing it, but let me see if I can answer your question better. What is that movie about? Um, that movie is about a a person who is is sick, a person who is is very damaged, and at every step of the way, just gets beaten down and beaten back over and over and over again, and through their mania, finds a reason to be happy and live again. But unfortunately, the way that they've chosen to be happy and live again is as destructive as it could possibly be. So in that way, it's very bleak. But that's what that movie is about to me. 
Um, it's about trying to free yourself from the shackles of the past, um, but in a very destructive way. So that's why I had so much trouble with it when I got out, because it's not a movie about redemption. It's a movie about, you know, bad things, and then the character arc, unfortunately, there is an arc, but the arc doesn't take him to a redeemed state, you know? So I, I think it yeah. raises a lot of interesting questions in that sense. Now, do I think that it's really interesting that it's set in the 80s against the, you know, uh, uh, defunding of mental health clinics thing? No, I don't I, – forget that. I don't – I could care less about that. It, it could take place anytime it wants to take place in my view. Um, but when you watch the second time when you know what's going to happen – and I would invite you guys. I know you probably never will. But I would invite you guys to watch it a second time knowing what's going to happen um, and see if you don't enjoy it more. That's 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 how I would answer that. Okay, I mean that's fair. I, I again to me it is technically impressive because yeah you have a lot of really I think it, I think it is less than the sum of its parts is I think the best way to put it because I think also, it has. You also had to you you know he had to like convince um, uh, Joaquin like for eight ten months to do that movie. Oh here's another thing about it too. I think that it's I think that it, it it's funny you bring up plot and I think I gave a pretty fair estimation of kind of what it's about but. I would say that it's not like real heavy on plot. I would say that a lot of it is it's almost it's almost like balletic and and I don't mean to get corny just because he happens to dance. But like for example, when I looked into it some more, the the they sent like some early shots to the um to the uh um the music person I I always forget her name. It's very hard to pronounce. Like you're in a, I don't want to butcher it. But but um but they, but essentially, she sent them some early cello music, and that like was being played in the background while Joaquin Phoenix was giving his performance. So in a way, it was a very cyclical. It wasn't like the movie was made and then they sent it to the um, uh, the I, I guess the what do you call the, the person that makes the music? The scorer. Uh, they sent it to the scorer. Composer. Composer. Yeah. Yeah. They sent it to the composer to to you know do their their music after it was already completed in this case the actual score created part of the film or at least the mood for the film so in a lot of ways if you look at it from that perspective and just look at those scenes and hear that music and watch that performance as he moves through the space that music was actually playing when he was freestyling that performance so it's just there's just a lot of quality elements there i get what you're saying about being less than some of its parts i definitely hear you no yeah that's what i'm saying i'm not i'm not bashing the the composing or the cinematography it, it, it looks great it is just all of this talent in service of nothing is how i feel about it roger that um my i think i'm up next uh my number three is is not i think a, a surprising movie it's already been talked about a, a bit um but for me my number three was parasite which if if I was going to argue for what I think is is the best movie of the year, I think this is one of the rare years where the Oscars got it right. Um, and was it worth? I mean, with the Oscars, I think sometimes they do it just so they can say they've done it and be done with it. Because this is the same Academy that gave Green Book Best Picture. But you know, um, good on them. They got it right. Parasite really was like te- like on a technical level, on a writing level, on a the- thematic level, on an acting level, and on a directing level. It's just such a achievement of a film um i remember seeing this i was very excited to see it um 
In fact, the day I went to the theater, it was either going to be Parasite or The Lighthouse. Either one would have been a great time, but I'm very glad I got to see Parasite in theaters. Um, it just let it wash over me. Uh, just from beginning to end, I the characters are relatable. They're flaws, and it doesn't what what I think like what what I think is great about it is that it makes it clear even though they're arguably doing the more outright duplicitous things on a singular level, it shows the bigger societal problems that lead to why they have to do what the things that they do as a family. Um, and it's just, it's wildly entertaining. It's funny throughout it, uh, goes places. I had no real expectation it would go. Um, and there may be a couple of small things plot wise that I won't get into where I'm a little like, would the, would, would this have gone exactly like this? But beyond that, it, they're very, very minor. And it's more like in the moment I could see things, you know, characters acting certain ways. And, um, yeah, it, it's just an achievement. Uh, he's a fantastic director. Uh, you know, like Kevin said, Snowpiercer was amazing. Um, the host is great. Uh, he's, he's, I need to see some of his other work because they haven't all, I feel like now we're going to get more of them in nicer, like Parasite is on Blu-ray, but it already has a Criterion Collection Blu-ray coming. So I'm waiting for that. Nice. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's just, it's a phenomenal film. I loved it. I, if I had to say the absolute best movie of the year in terms of on every level, that would probably be the one. But since we, we mix best and favorite, I have a couple more that just personally hit me higher and uh, I'm but but yeah, Parasite's phenomenal. It's on Hulu right now, too. So you should go watch it if you haven't. Yeah, that just and I think a uh, day or two ago. Nice. Yeah, I did see that this week. Yep. Very cool. Awesome. Well, I'm up. Um, OK, so my pick is a hidden gem and it's Here probably we go. Here we go. I think Let's it's the go. opposite of Joker in every way because it's an uplifting coming of age movie about following your dreams. But um, it's a movie called Blinded by the Light. Um, have you guys heard of it? Yeah. I, yeah. Yes. Okay. So it's the Springsteen um, one, right? It is. So it's a it's a love letter to Bruce Springsteen, and it's about it's based on a memoir um, of this guy who um, is and it, his family is originally from India, and he grew up in England, and um, he discovered Springsteen um, as a teenager, and it was like it was like that ah oh, you know how like every creator or artists or what has like that aha moment of like when they see a piece of art or, you know, hear an album or something that just like lights a fire in them. It's about that. So it's about like, he, you know, becomes a Springsteen super fan and um, that just changes his life. And um, it, the screenplay was co-written by the guy who wrote the memoir that the movie's based on. Um, and it's direct. I'm going to, I don't know how to pronounce the director's name. I apologize, but um, she's fantastic. Uh, she directed Bend It Like Beckham, which is another like inspirational sports movie. Great movie. movie. I love that. Uh, yeah, it's great. And so and that's kind of how they got the title for it, because obviously Blinded by the Light is a Springsteen song. But it also they wanted to go with like the um, the alliteration of like the B title. So Bend It Like Beckham, Blinded by the Light. But it's just one of those. So I saw I took my parents to see it on my dad's birthday because my dad's a huge Springsteen fan and he got me into it. And when we saw that trailer, we're like, oh, wow, we're all over that. And it's just one of those, I mean, yeah, it's not a complex plot or anything. It's just one of those that is so uplifting, so good. Of course, it has a great soundtrack because it's all Springsteen music. Um, and it's a really, it's funny at times. It's a great family story of, you know, I mean, he has a more um, kind of stiff dad who um, wants, he just wants him to work hard. And 
um, and is against his passion initially, but then they have a reconciliation and it's just a really like, you know, it got, you get some tears at the end there and great performances, really great writing. It flows well. And one of the things I really like about it too is, so I saw it at Alamo, of course. Um, and you know how at Alamo, they always play like these shorts um, before the movie or like really old retro stuff. They that even kinda... have those, they even have those for like non-superhero movies. They have them for everything. Yeah, they, oh yeah, the, every show has like some kind of like tie, like uh, they don't do, you know, like commercials like at mainstream theaters. They have like um, this um, website called Birth Movies Death makes all of their content, their pre-show content. And for this one, it was weird because um, we went in there and I expected them to be playing, you know, Springsteen music videos or whatever. They were playing like these really old silent movies that, um, and I was like, what does this have to do with, you know, with this movie? And other, and then you realize it is the director has this really interesting style where she plays with the color schemes and at points um, you're watching it and it's kind of in a normal um, frame and then it goes into like uh, a color scheme that looks like it's something out of an old silent movie. Like obviously it doesn't go to a silent, but like but the color scheme and the palette changes and it's really invigorating. It makes it a really unique experience. And um, so that's one of those that's movies awesome. I just like. My parents and I loved it. And my parents and I don't see a lot of movies together. Like, we're watching a lot now because there aren't any sports right now. And yeah. I've been showing them Pixar movies that they haven't seen. But normally we have very different tastes and stuff, which is fine. But this is one, like, all three of us loved. And um, it's just one of those. It's a great, you know, um, the, um, no, like, well, uh, the only big name was, um, uh, crap, what's the actress who plays um, Agent Carter? Oh, um, uh, Haley Atwell? Yes. So she plays his teacher um, who kind of inspires him to write and follow his passion for music and all that. Um, but I, other than that, it was mostly like um, no big names or anything. But um, the family was perfectly casted. It's just it's a really cool love letter. It's about following your dreams and falling in love with an artist and all this stuff. And it's really funny because it came out around the same time as that movie yesterday, which I also saw, which was uh, um, about a guy who um, suddenly he has like a um accident and he suddenly wakes up in a world where the beatles never existed and so he writes all their songs and becomes famous that way and do they explain does that have like a good like explanation for why the world forgets the beatles at the end not really it's a crazy supernatural thing it's just kind of one of the things you have to roll with but i don't think it diminishes the movie it's kind of like it's sort of like um like have you ever seen big the tom hanks movie yeah it's like oh yeah it's like <laughs> that where it's like um you know it's where Yes, there's sort of an explanation there, but not really. It's just kind of one of those things. A supernatural thing happens, and you roll with it. Um, but it's but it doesn't diminish the quality of the movie. So that's a very fun one. But I think Blinded by the Light is much is still much better. Um, so yeah, that's one of those. I loved it. I wanna uh, um, I wanna see it again, and I was glad I got to see it in theaters. So that is my number three pick. Nice, cool man. All right. Big, I'm not a big Springsteen fan. I used to be when I was younger, but sure, not so much these days. Oh, but anyway, I, I've never been big on Springsteen, but I had no idea that was from the same team as Bend It Like Beckham. That makes yeah. me want to check it out more than maybe anything else he's said. Right, right. About it. No, it's it's really cool. I think from a directing standpoint, yeah. Very nice. All right, I guess that puts me up for favorite actor. Um, yeah, this was an easy one. Um, and I've said that a couple, I, I said that about one other movie, but this was easy because with actress, I, I had a lot of, um, a lot of people that were in consideration, but when I was looking over all the movies, um, there were, there were a couple, 
like I mentioned Adam Sandler, he was very good in Uncut Gems. He obviously is the center of that movie. Aaron Paul reminded why he's so good on El Camino. Um, But easily my favorite performance of the year was Willem Dafoe in The Lighthouse. Uh, It... I've always liked Willem Dafoe. I think he's such an interesting actor. He goes to such weird places. He's in tons uh, of shit. Yeah, he's all over the place. He's done so many movies. He's had a long career. Um, and uh, But The Lighthouse is just transcendent. He's so good as this old lighthouse keeper that just like puts Robert Pattinson through his paces. Um he just fits. It's like it's like the role he was born to play at this age because he just looks like it. And yeah, part of that's makeup, but part of it just Willem Dafoe looks like he's lived like cragged up on the seashore for sixty years, um, and he just embodies this role. He gives these absolutely insane ramblings that also you know have a, have a lyricism and and a flow to them. He's got this great monologue where he chastises Robert Pattinson at one point in the movie. And he's just he's he's mesmerizing. He's technically supporting cast, which is one of those weirdnesses where I'm like, what what qualifies for what? Because Wait, he's as what? much in the movie as Robert Pattinson. Wait, huh? what? Supporting actor so is what he's not. So who the hell is the main? Who who's the second main actor? Uh, well, Robert Pattinson is the star, and then Willem Dafoe is the supporting actor. That makes no sense. Yeah, that's why nominations are arbitrary and ridiculous, but he's in most of the movie. And yes, the movie is from Robert Pattinson's point of view, but still. I mean, he's that's so much it, the, the whole best actor, like lead actor, supporting actor, that's like once upon a time in Hollywood. DiCaprio and Brad Pitt kind of share an equal amount of screen time. Brad Pitt is technically supporting actor in that. So that's an example right there. Yeah. yeah. It, it's just uh, but uh, regardless, Willem Dafoe is just phenomenal in The Lighthouse. Um it's just a performance you got to see if there's if there's a re like, again, I, I think this movie is just great on its face. But if, if the other things aren't working for you, Willem Dafoe pulls you through. He's so good. Uh, so he was my uh, favorite actor of the year. No, again, I haven't seen The Lighthouse yet, but I picked if you guys remember, I picked Willem Dafoe for the 2017 episode for a movie called The Florida Project, which is a really small indie. Oh, like that's also on Netflix now. Yeah, it, yeah, it's. A, I mean, not not an uh, like an easy watch necessarily, but he gives a great performance in everything he does. So yeah, good nice. pick. Who's next? Right. Yeah, is it me or Rich? Uh, it'll be you, Kevin. Okay, cool. So my this is a this one's a I I know will surprise you guys, um, but because uh, I don't know if I've ta- had a chance to talk about it with you guys yet. Um, I didn't see this movie till earlier this year. I didn't get it because it was at, at a very limited theatrical release. Um, but I, this is one I think was criminally overlooked by the Oscars. I mean, I, you know, I mean, I know, I, I mean, Joaquin Banks was great in Joker and everything, even though I don't really like the movie, but he could a great performance. But I'm going to give Best Actor to Shia LaBeouf in Honey Boy. Um, okay. And that movie is also, it's not a pleasant watch by any means, um, but it, man, is it powerful. It's kind of like in, I mean, kind of conversation when we were talking about Joker. Honey Boy is a, a hard thing to watch, but it, it is such an uh, like the reviews came out and uh, one review said like uh, it's an egoless retelling. And I, I think that's a really perfect description for it, because to make a movie where, you know, you're writing, uh, he, he wrote the movie and played his, uh, the, um, the character that's based on his abusive father from his childhood. And, you know, it seems like when they announced that, OK, Shia LaBeouf is writing a biopic about himself and he's playing his father in it. 
ever uh, it's like you know you would think that there's nothing more pretentious than that when in reality it's a it is so like powerful in that like it's like a memoir on screen and the way the movie is set up it's um it's continually juxtaposing between um when the boy is like 10 and he's growing up with his abusive father um on the set of like even Stevens and stuff like that when he's a child actor um they, they use different names for the characters but it's you know of course very much based on him oh, but yeah. and it's um juxtaposed with um like 10 years later when um he's in rehab for um drugs and all that and that's actually when he wrote the movie when he was in rehab and lucas hedges plays that version of, of him but getting back to the performance so he plays um this very like abusive father and it's such a like hard role to play and i can't imagine like the emotions to go through of like when you're writing that script and then you're trying to embody that character and he just nails it i mean it's like it's like nothing you've ever seen him in, in before and again, it's hard to watch. And the thing, and it's not even so much like all the things they show. It's a more like just the way he talks and like you see, and yet you see him as such a complex character because you see him these scenes and like the way he's talking to his son and like making fun of his dick and stuff like that and just horrible stuff like that. And then um, there's a scene when he's in at an AA meeting and he's just like going to this monologue and it's such a like brilliant um manifestation of all those emotions and so you know to why i mean child of has definitely had an, like a quite a you know career of ups and downs and you know been very public and um often just thought of as crazy but when you know he put himself out there in this movie in a way that he's never done before and i think in a way a lot of artists like might it might be even too intimidating to do it you know and, oh, absolutely. I don't think that's questionable. I mean, just yeah. the little bit that I know about it, and you saying yeah. it's an, you know, that that it resonates when you hear that it's an egoless retelling, and when you just yeah. see it, it's just like, I mean, just the thing making fun of his his privates. I mean, what a horrendous thing to expose about yourself. No pun intended. Right. right. Um, yeah. That you went through that. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's just that's just completely re revealing. Yeah, um, I can't imagine what bravery it took to make. I mean, I don't mean to sound cliche, but that is brave as shit. Absolutely, and I mean, and he, I watched some interviews with them after about, and like he said um, that the director, and this is, a, it's another movie that could go to several awards. I mean, cinematography, direction, um, and the when he taught the director when they were making the movie, and I think a little before it came out, she asked him to go talk to his father, and they hadn't talked in like seven years. And he was able to have a conversation and he actually showed the movie to him. And like, I mean, I, that, that's a kind of, you know, I cannot imagine that. And like, and it really, it's one of those, they like it, you know, it doesn't like, um, hold back anything, but it's also a really powerful story of like redemption and pretty good. And like the way it ends is just like, I mean, it's so emotional. It's, again, it's not one I want to watch over and over again, cause it's not a pleasant, sure. but it is powerful. And I think, you know, as someone who grew up on Even Stevens, like, never did I expect, like, you know, the goofy kid from my childhood to, I mean, just, I mean, I think about that, like, when I was watching Even Stevens, he was going through all this, and, like, to be able to, you know, take that and, like, reflect on his PTSD and then put it in a movie, that is powerful, and I think he deserves all the credit for what he's done at, here as an actor and a writer, so, um, so, yeah, I give Shia LaBeouf Best Actor. Nice. Very nice. Am I up? Yeah, you're up. So I have, not to bring TV into it, but I have recently been watching Westworld. And 
I get more, and you referenced this a little bit earlier, I get more and more and more impressed by Aaron Paul and how good he is <laughs> as, as as we go. Um, he is just, he's incredibly talented. And the fact that he came out, it didn't look good for a while there, right, with Need for Speed and, and the decisions he was making quickly after Breaking Bad. It looked like, uh-oh, this career may not go anywhere. And it is the kind of thing that could easily have gone off the rails, but somehow he's picked the right role since then. And he's just delivered fantastic performances. And I actually think that he has gotten to the point in other things where he isn't – when I see him, I don't just see Jesse. Like I actually see like in Westworld, um, you know, a, a much, much different character. Um, in other things I've seen him in, just a definitely a different character. Uh, he's just got a very emotive face. And he's incredibly empathetic. Uh, that's the wrong word because that that works in the opposite direction. But he he expresses humanity so laid so bare. Um, and his performance in El Camino is is fantastic. It's it's a relatively silent performance. It's not particularly verbose. Um, it is intense as hell that's a movie probably not on the level of uncut gems um stress i'm sure um but it's certainly you know it's still stressful it's definitely stressful and he he pulls it off incredibly well he doesn't he doesn't sort of reveal his hand he's just he's fantastic in it and he shows why he was so good in breaking bad and i've just seen ever since and other things he's been doing westworld included that he's just a fantastic actor that has come out of the shadow not that it was a shadow it was more like a bright light but come out of the the, the breaking bad world um and and just become one of our best sort of preeminent actors um and also, when he's doing Breaking Bad, he's pretty fucking great, too. So, Aaron Paul gets my pick for El Camino. There are a lot that could have won this award, but I think I'm going to give it to him because he's on my mind. Yeah, like I said, he was he was in my running. He's he's so good. He's so good. In everything he does, um, we've been rewatching BoJack, and he's like, that's also really good. I know it's a voice role, and it's more comedic, but he nails that, too, yeah. as Todd Chavez. So, yeah. I've seen a yeah. little of it, and what I've seen, he's great. Well, and that's what I like about so much about his performance in El Camino is it's such a different side to Jesse because, like, at the end of Breaking Bad, you only get to see the finale where, you know, he's been in captivity. And, like, the way he embodies that of, like, you know, coming out of that and his character has totally changed. And, like you said, it is more of a silent performance. And, you know, the whole movie he's going around with evil Matt Damon, as I like to call him. Um, but, no, it, oh, it's one of the best. So, great pick. Awesome. Very nice. All right. So, next up takes us to Actress. And we're back to you, Kevin. Okay. So uh, my actress comes from a movie that I also I only saw recently on streaming. I heard about it last year and I just didn't get a chance to in theaters. Um, and she's had a big year. But um, Florence Pugh in a movie called Fighting With My Family. Um, have you guys heard of the movie? I've actually seen part yeah. of it on a plane you did? this year. Did you say, OK, so I really love the movie. It was actually in my I mean, I, I, I'll give it an honorable mention. It was in my running for top three. I, I think it was like one of my favorite comedies of the year and then sort of like comedy drama slash. But, um, so Florence, you, I got to see her in this and then in little women. And I think that's ultimately why I didn't see midsummer because I, yeah, I may see eventually, but 
I'm sorry, Hereditary was like one of the most unpleasant experiences I've ever had in the movies. <laughs> I don't really, I know Midsummer is different, but I also am scared to watch it. So, um, Listen, it's one of, if, if there, he, there, it's very clearly made by the same director. I like Midsummer better for what it's worth, but that's what I've heard. Yeah. I just, I don't know. Like, I've heard there are images that are horribly frightening that you're never going to forget. I'm like, there I don't are, know. I've seen the first that. half. I've seen the first yeah. half of Midsummer and it's, woo. Yeah. Let's yeah. just say Cliffside, Jordan. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's got a lot. Like, the opening even has some pretty messed up stuff in it, so. Right, right. But anyway, um, so Florence Pugh's had, like, a really killer year. And in this movie, so she plays um, this, uh, um, the daughter from a wrestling family um, where the parents are these eccentric um, characters played by Nick Frost and then Lena Headey, who's CRC on Game of Thrones. And she and her brother are both working to become WWE fighters, but he wants it more, and she ends up being the one who's picked. Like, um, and it's this really cool story of like, because um, it's not like for her, it's not like, oh my gosh, this is my lifelong dream. It's just this is the family she was born into, and she did like, and so it's her kind of like, forgive the pun, but wrestling with that identity um, throughout the movie of like, do I really want this? And as she's going through, um, the training process where Vince Vaughn plays her coach and in a less comedic role, that was really interesting too. Uh, but uh, just seeing her struggle there as the outcast. And the, another reason I picked her for this movie is because seeing her in little women where she plays the more snobby sister who um, is competing with uh, the girl who, the sister who's more of the outsider. And then in Trisha here, Ronan's character, right? Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And like, and here she plays, more of the outsider character um, where she doesn't feel like she fits in with all, all the other um, women who are training BWD fighters too. And it's about her finding her own identity. And I think she just really balances that so well. I mean, it's a, it's a great movie because it balances the comedy and drama so well. It's like a little bit of coming of age. It's comedy, it's drama. Um, it's written and directed by Stephen Merchant. Uh, you know, I mean, veteran of the British office and um, he's and he's done a lot of stuff. I mean, both acting, writing and directing. Um, he has a small role and small role in Jojo Rabbit, too. Um, but it's a really great movie. And I just really comp- commend her performance. I think she does a great job of, like, relating to that outsider character, um, but not making it cliche, if that makes sense. And it's just a really fascinating story of, like, watching her journey play out. Because, again, it's like her brother wants what she has more. And she keeps going back and forth of like, do I really want this or do I want to just stay with my, you know, crazy family in England and, you know, be a small town, small town wrestler. Um, and so that's a really fascinating dynamic there. Um, and yeah, so and again, she's had a killer year. Uh, so I give it to Florence Pugh. Um, she was absolutely on my list just because uh, my big takeaway is like 2019 was just her year. It really um, yeah. More than anything, like I realized in 2018 for Halloween, where I watch a horror movie every day, I watched a movie she's in, did not know her, did not remember that movie till I suddenly saw it and was like, oh, wow, she really did blow up this year. Um, I'm sure Marvel's super excited that they <laughs> tapped her to be right. like the new Black Widow since right. they had no way of knowing technically at the time. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, she she was great. But uh, Rich, who was your favorite actress? Um. So this is uh, a pick that, you know, I think is kind of inevitable, and especially because I didn't make this connection 
Um, but she was, but uh, she was also in Blade Runner twenty forty nine, and yeah. that's actually uh. something that I called out um, to uh, on on a on a tweet and actually got. Um, I think it was the cinematographer. Was it Roger Deakins who 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 retweeted me uh, or something? Anyway. I was just talking about that joy in the rain scene that I love so much, and that she just brought so much life life to that character. And then this year, or last year, in Knives Out, I'm not going to say she's my favorite character, but what she is is the reason that movie succeeds. That movie, Daniel Craig is great, and he's he's now going to be playing that character again, Benoit Blanc, and and that's you know he's now started a you know a franchise essentially. His new Bond. Right, a franchise that 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 you know, Anna de Armas, my favorite actress, um, isn't going to be in probably. However, Knives Out one hundred percent hinges on her ability to draw empathy from the viewer. Period. Um, yeah. The movie, in many ways, was started as an experiment, a thought experiment, um, by uh, Ryan Johnson to see if he could make a Columbo um, whodunit. Um, I don't want to give too much away, but but just a Columbo whodunit that serves a ver- variety of different um, types of, of things. Essentially, the, can I playing with playing with the form? Um, and because of that, you are rooting for her to succeed and not get in trouble that entire movie. Um, and she carries it. Um, everybody just cheers for her. Um, and, uh, and she really sells that performance. I just think she's fantastic in it. I think that performance is as good as it could be. The other thing too, when you see her in other things or you hear her interviewed, she is not at all diminutive or like, or like withdrawn or she's very strong and powerful, but she plays that role very, there's a lot of subtle grace to that role. Um, and it's, it's hard to use the word grace when you see someone, you know, playing a character who wears, and they did it on purpose to make her look. I think they said goofy, a little goofy. But those pants that get cut off, like those three-quarter pants she walks around in, like that was mm-hmm. done on purpose to make her just seem a little bit like likable and goofy. Um, but like that character is totally not what that what the actress is like in real life. Not that that should be a surprise, but it's just I so believed that's who she was. Yeah. Um, and and that that to me just tells me how good of a performance that was. So for me. Uh, Anna de Armas and Knives Out is my actress of uh, of 2019. Nice. Her up and and I'm excited for it now. She's like blown up. Too. She's gonna oh, be yeah. a Spawn movie and all that. And you know, I, I really look forward to where her career will go from here. For sure. Yeah. No. No. For no doubt. Um, let's see. A couple other. Uh, where? Who? Let me make sure I have the right actress. Yes. Okay. Um. See. So yeah. Like I said, Florence Pugh is one of my honorables. Uh, I had a lot of people. Sam Weaving, who was in Ready or Not, and I thought killed it in that movie. I saw a couple of our other films this year, and I feel like she's poised to really blow up this year. She's going to be in uh, the new Bill and Ted. Uh, she's been doing other things. She's done a lot of like action roles. Um, so I think she's one to watch. Lupita Nyong'o was great in... Uh, yeah. She was the best thing in Little Monsters, which is one of the worst movies I saw last year. And she was obviously also great anchoring us. Um, What's well, one of the worst movies last year? Uh, Little Monsters. Oh, I didn't even see it. I don't know what that is. It, it's like a Hulu original in America. It's 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 like a zombie comedy. It's not oh. very good. But <laughs> she's good in it because she's good in everything. She commits. Um, 
But my favorite performance of the year went to, again, another kind of – this one actually was a smaller role, but it stuck with me and it was so good. Uh, but my, my favorite was Billy Lord in uh, Booksmart. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She it's not a huge role. She plays a very kind of a, a more minor supporting character in the movie. She's like a friend. She's a she's one of the students who's a little off a rocker, a bit nutty, uh, but also super rich. So she kind of she pops up throughout the movie doing these weird, crazy things. And she could just be a joke character, but they actually give the character and the role and the history between her and her brother a lot of depth. Um, she she's honestly she's an actress who I keep waiting to see get like that big breakout which is weird to say because she's obviously she's been in the star wars movies she's carrie fisher's daughter uh she's played i think lieutenant conics like one of the people that's just at the base but she was phenomenal in scream queens which is not a great show it's it's all right but she's really good in it she was great in book smart um she has a screen presence uh like her mother and grandmother and it just feels like she's she's gonna get that role soon just on the strength of something like Booksmart, on the strength of having done so much solid work that I think she will blow up. But but Booksmart shows just how good she is. Um, and I just love that character. And I keep I think about that character a lot and how fun it was. And and when, I re- when I've rewatched the movie, she stands out again. It's just such a fun performance. Um, and for that reason, I wanted to give it to Billy Lord. Good pick. Yeah. Nice. Um, so next up is... Our wild bonus round pick, yeah. So, Rich, what's a what's a random something or other you wanted to give recognition to? Oh man, uh, come back to me. <laughs> Go around. All right, Kevin, why don't you start us off? Yeah, um, I know we've done best screenplay in the past, and I won't talk too much about this because I just gushed about the movie. But um, but I, I'll give best screenplay to Shia LaBeouf for Honey Boy. So again, I mean, for all the reasons I just said, um, putting himself out there, I can imagine what that process was like. Um, and if I have another, like, quick, um, fun category, probably most entertaining would go to Knives Out. I think it's just, like, um, it, that was just some of the most fun I had of the movies last year. So, yeah, those are my two quick picks there. Um, I would, I would throw screenplay, I was thinking about, and I would give that to Knives Out, probably. I, I yeah, again, yeah. a little bit as a recognition thing. But, sure. Uh, also... I, I just think it was really well written. I think it has a great cast of characters. A lot of it does come down to performance and whatnot, but it, it was a solid screenplay. No, but and Knives a, Out... Yeah, or, the story yeah. and the dialogue are so clever. But yeah. yeah, it's got a lot of great callbacks and, and hints towards future stuff. And also, this is a movie that didn't quite make my top three, but it's an honorable mention, but I, I did want to at least talk about it a little. Right. Um, and then I'll, I'll hit... I'll hit up um, because my my actual bonus category was best theatrical experience, which you kind of touched on. Uh, And for me, my best theatrical experience was um, Avengers Endgame. I mean, like this is a movie that is so fun and fulfills so much. And it's not without its problems or its creaky moments, but seeing it in a theater opening night. And, you know, I mean, the video went around on Twitter just this past week of, like, an audience reacting to Cap wielding the hammer. And there's just so many moments like that in that movie where it's just, like, this collective energy going through the theater was so enrapturing. And, and like, there was no other movie that that captured the, the thrill of seeing a movie in theaters like Avengers Endgame for me. Hey, I didn't hear you say anything about Escape Plan uh, this year, uh, Jordan. Then, like the third Escape. or fourth Escape Plan movie come out this year. 
I think the third one came out earlier this year. I have not seen it yet. What's up, man? I thought you were the biggest fan. I haven't seen the second one yet. I bought it, and then I just haven't watched it. Oh, no, okay. Got it. But I love the first Escape Plan. It's a I, I dumb know. good movie. I know, I know, I know you do. Um, I'm going to say... God. I'm going to just skip this one. I may have some other things to call out later as we go, but I'm just going to skip the bonus category, um, and we can move on and pretend that I went first there. So what's the rotation take us to? Uh, the next up would be, uh, me at number two, I guess. Uh, so, all right. My number two favorite movie of the year. This one was a surprise. Uh, I, I'd seen the trailers and it was, it looked like an interesting movie and then it started getting good buzz. Um, and then I saw it and I was just, it, it did what every gangster movie I've seen since Goodfellas has not delivered, and I don't think every gangster movie is trying to be Goodfellas, but the thing I found out that I love about Goodfellas isn't that it's about gangsters, it's the story structure and the the way it's like, it tra- traces this story through one point of view and like the influence of power and the way this character rises from like a kid up through like getting caught. Um, and... The the movie that that is more like Goodfellas than anything else I've I've ever seen is Hustlers. This is a movie uh, set around like a, a group of exotic dancers, strippers during. Uh, it starts right before the financial crisis, uh, the recession. Hustlers is your second favorite movie of 2019. Hustlers. Yes, Hustlers. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Uh, it starts with the financial crisis, how how great everything was. Jennifer Lopez plays like this veteran stripper who's just control, like is powerful and, and does the dancing and gets the money. And then once the recession hits and the strip clubs in New York, because that's a big thing. They're like the, the clubs in New York where the finance guys are. They're not coming anymore. The, the dancers aren't able to make money. Clubs are shutting down or they're having to go to these like really skeevy places. So Jennifer Lopez's character like gets a bunch of them together and is like we're gonna we're gonna run the con and they start like they they're drugging dudes and they're getting them to come in and they're taking the money from these Wall Street dudes who you know profited off the crisis and, and so for them it's like a Robin Hood scenario except they're giving to themselves and it's just Jennifer Lopez is fen- phenomenal like she's she's got a lot of praise both for the work she put in because she's doing those dances and she's killing them but also she sells the like the charisma of being someone who essentially starts her own gang and and works almost like a cult leader like that's the feel of it where she's she knows when to praise people she knows when to give them the, the cold shoulder she knows how to manipulate these people and even though there's a sense that there's maybe some genuine love there's also the sense that if you screw her over or if things aren't going her way, she's going to turn on you. Um, Constance Wu is great as um, the like the, the our point of view character who starts off as a new stripper trying to just make money and then like develops these family ties as they bring more and more people in. Um, and the whole movie is framed. And I don't think the frame is necessarily necessary with like Hillary Swank because it's based on the New York article about the real story of how this was happening. Um and so it's like framed with interviews with her in the future after the after the fact. But the way it traces through events, the way it shows the more familial happy moments and then the darker moments, um, it's it's just engrossing. It's enrapturing. And it's just I loved it. Like start to finish. I was I was so pulled in by it. Some of the anxieties in the movie really hit me like there's a scene with it's very specific. And sometimes that's what you need. Right. Where a movie hits you on a very specific level. Um 
the Constance Wu's character has this recurring nightmare of like being trapped in a car in like the back seat, and then there's no one in the driver's seat, and the car is just careening forward. I've had that dream a lot, where someone will just like barrel roll out of the driver's seat, and I'm just in this car that's careening off. And so that hit me on chills level. And I just related to, I, I liked the message of like, you know what? Fuck wall street. Who cares if we screw them over? They're assholes. That's true. And there, there's just a lot of uh, timeliness to it. Uh, there was a lot of just entertainment and yeah, I just loved it. And it was a surprise, but I came out of that movie just absolutely in love with it. And it was my second favorite movie of the year. What made you go see it in the first place? I thought it looked good. I, I like the trailers were solid, and then it was getting just rave reviews uh, from people I respected. So I was like, "Yeah, uh, we wanted to see a movie. We saw that, and I was like, I'm so glad we saw it." Awesome! Wow, that was a huge surprise. Cool. I didn't know that movie Kevin. was uh, was, oh, was no, good on that level. You know? Yeah, no, it was it was phenomenal. Um, but yeah, uh, Kevin, what was your number two of the year? All right, my number two. Uh, so I saw twice the week it came out. Um, it's just one of those. I It's powerful, funny, all the things I love. That is Jojo Rabbit. Um, and I think it's a brilliant piece of satire. It takes on material that, I mean, it, yeah, it like they've been plenty of like making fun of Hitler movies in history. Maybe not for a little while, but um, it, at least in this scale, like, I mean, where that's the focus. But um, I think it just like exemplifies why Taiki Watiti is such a creative director. Um, even if like, cause I think like, I think Jordan, we've had these conversations where like, it like, you like, you don't like all of his movies, but then there's ones you love, you know, like you just like know his style and what yes. works and yeah, exactly. And like, and I think for here, for me, um, that's what, you know, showed up here. It's just like, it's a funny movie. I mean, it's a movie about, you know, making fun of youth Nazi culture, um and you don't feel like uncomfortable watching it it's like it's weird that it's so entertaining and hilarious um like when i saw the trailer it almost looked like a it it reminded me of moonrise kingdom and it had kind of a wes anderson style to it um and you know just the idea of him playing you know of um an imaginary hitler there in the movie and the way they did he did the soundtrack and the cinematography and you know, the, the, I, I mean, there's debates about how well he executes the idea. Personally, I think he does a, a good job of, like, taking on the theme of, like, you know, fascism is so stupid that it can only be viewed and accepted through a child's eyes. I think that's a really interesting thesis for a movie, um, uh, that, for a satirical movie. And, like, and not only that, but it is also, like, hits you emotionally. It's not just, like, jokes the whole time. It, at, like, it takes a turn in the last half hour where it's very heartbreaking and emotional and um and there are some visual moments that just strike you and um yeah it's just one of those like it's gonna stick with me for a long time like i said i saw it twice on the week it came out it's creative it's ambitious and um and it's the book that it's based on is apparently not at all comedic it's more um you know takes on a like serious material like it takes on the basis of this the same story essentially but mm-hmm. it's much darker tone. And I don't think what Taiki Watiti does with it is in any way an insult to that. It's just his interpretation, and um, he adds his own flair and unique vision to it, and I think it works really well. And it's some great performances, both the child actors and then, like, him and Scarlett Johansson. Um, and, yeah, it's just one of those. It's I feel like it's one of those no one else could have done. It's so unique to his style. And, yeah, it's entertaining 
Um, it's funny. It's moving. I just, I yeah, I really loved it. That's awesome. Um, that's one I'd like to see. Yeah, I haven't seen that I know either. It's been very divisive, because I think with a movie like that, you can potentially run into that life is beautiful problem of, of right, right. trivializing. It's gonna um, be- and I know some people feel like yeah. it did, so I think it's just a matter of, of what sure. level of it you're looking and for. I, so. I, and Young was a little more on the fence about it. Like, he still liked it overall, but he had that idea more. And I totally respect that. It's why, I mean, that's the kind of, that's why I like it, I think, so much, is that it does spark that discussion. Because ultimately, it's really brave to make a movie like this, um, you know, and um, trying to really make a statement, but also be absurd and be satirical and all that stuff. And that's, so it's inevitably going to be controversial. But I think that's where it works in its favor. And so, yeah, some people might really hate it, and that's fine. Um, but I Are think that's... Are people that really hate it, like some critics, Jordan? Yeah, some people feel like it, it misses... I don't know if, like, full-on hate, but feel like it misses the mark. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I think it, like, it's a balancing act movie. Right. I haven't seen... the Of the negative reviews I've seen, they haven't been, like, scathing, but they just said, like, yeah, it fails to, like, get across its point and tries to be both comedy and drama and doesn't succeed but like there what but it's i i mean i'm sure there are people who like hate but i haven't seen that as much so it, but it, it sparked some really interesting conversation so jojo rabbit is my second pick cool am nice. i up uh no. wait did you do your top yeah yeah you're number two right yeah yeah that goes to rich rich yeah yeah you're up cool um so my pick is one i've talked about a little bit already um but i am going with knives out um, I'm very love hate about this movie, um, as if as you'll remember, Kevin, when you saw it with me in theaters. Sure. Um, I I'm a as anybody who listens to the podcast knows or has talked to me knows I'm somewhat exhaustingly a huge fan of murder mysteries and um, twisty turny thrillers and anything that's going to surprise me a lot. Um, the very and I'm going to get into a little bit of spoiler territory here, so uh, if anybody hasn't seen it yet, you should and you shouldn't listen to the next say three, four, or five minutes of this. Um, but Knives Out is a cake and eat it too scenario, and um, the like I like I alluded to a little bit earlier, the idea was that Ryan Johnson wanted to do um, this idea that you so so in the murder mystery world. 90%, 85 to 90% of things are whodunits. So the idea being that, as in an Agatha Christie book or a Sherlock Holmes or whatever, even, you know, Dupin, the very original detective created by Edgar Allan Poe, um, it's always a matter of who's the culprit here. And, and clues are laid out if there's fair play, or they're not really laid out clearly, but either way, um, throughout the story, you guess at who the killer or a thief or kidnapper is, and by the end, it's revealed. It's a very satisfying feeling. Um, traditionally, the detective sort of trots out all the clues that led them to that conclusion, and it just feels amazing, and order is returned, and that's why people love murder mysteries. That's sort of the premise on that, right? So that's one school of things. Um, about 15, 10 to 15% of the time... Um, Writers have tried to subvert the genre, and they do what they call the why done it or the how done it. Um, and the idea there is, you know who did it, um, and now it be now you have to have some other kind of drama driving your story. That drama can be why did they do it? Why did this seemingly nice person snap? Or how did they pull that off? How did they? How did this you know person who seems to be in this place but is also committed this murder how is that possible like locked room mysteries or or whatever um and then 
um, there are some another way to sort of build that drama is to let you know kind of all that stuff the who the how the why um, but then sort of drum up enough compassion on the part of the viewer to want to see what's going to happen sometimes they'll do that with like a serial killer story where like you'll see the serial killer's perspective and you'll see the cop's perspective and you're just waiting for that cop to catch up with the serial killer and so you have to be invested in this story and this ride and be along for the ride um columbo is very famous for being a story where the revelation of uh, who did it is revealed in the first three minutes of the show. So essentially they trot out a scene where you see the culprit do the cold-blooded ass thing they're going to do. Um, and you, the viewer, know who did it and when they did it and what they did. But Columbo doesn't know. So there's sort of that dramatic irony from the Shakespearean level of the audience knows more than the characters do. And you go on that ride and then you watch him be really clever to figure out who did it. And by the end, hopefully you're satisfied. Well, I tried to watch Columbo. I don't dig it. I just, <laughs> I just, I, I, I can see how that could be good. Um, I don't like it. I don't like to know who did it from the beginning. For me, with murder mysteries, what I really enjoy is, and it isn't just the reveal and feeling smart and feeling fooled and loving the twist, although that's a huge part of it. But what it is to me is human beings lying, faking, cheating dissembling um and and putting on an act or a persona because we all do to varying degrees at various scenarios and watching them get unraveled and have to reveal their true selves in front of people like to me that is what i love i've learned over years and years that that's what satisfies me at the end this person who was so put together and buttoned up and and looked so innocent was so dignified and had so many reasons to be a good person snapped and did this awful thing or got greedy and did this awful thing and when that reveal comes they have to show their true colors and that to me it just feels great and it's just very satisfying so i've done a lot of thinking about why i love murder mysteries so much so with all of that said anybody who knows knives out knows that it went columbo and within about 45 minutes of the two-and-a-half-hour movie, you know who did it. Uh, the twist is it's a person you really like, and they didn't mean to do it. Um, and so when you hear Ryan jo- – and so, so for, the, for the time that you're watching the movie, you're hoping this person who didn't deserve, doesn't deserve to get in trouble doesn't get in trouble and gets away with it. And that's what drives sort of the narrative for the next hour-and-a-half of the movie until the end where there's another sort of reveal twist – um, and it is still a mystery. Now, on one hand, it's just – I got to hand it to Ryan Johnson for pulling this off. And the reason he does it is because of my best actress pick is Anna de Armas because she's so engaging and endearing and, you know, on a social level, on a, on a, on a humanitarian level, and just on a human level. She's just so sympathetic and awesome. Um, and so – you want to see her get away with what isn't really her fault anyway. Um, and, you know, so you're you're there for the ride. And that's brilliant that he pulled that off. And then his other big aim was to be able to subvert even that thing. So to have it basically be the Columbo thing for two-thirds of the movie and use that 
you're hoping that the killer gets away with it, you know, and you're empathizing with her for two thirds of the t- of the time, and then in the end to kind of pull out the rug and say, ah, oh, it actually was a mystery who really is behind all of this, and to have his cake and eat it too. So unfortunately for me. Once 40 minutes into the movie, I saw that what had really happened to kill the guy. I didn't get that joy of the mystery the way I wanted to. So the first time I watched the movie, I was it, it was robbed from me, the thing that I love about murder mysteries. And you have to understand the context. This is like one of the biggest sort of returns to form or returns to prominence murder, prominence murder mysteries have had. They're all they're one of the most popular genres in all of fiction and they're hugely successful, but not like on the silver screen. Um, not in a huge way where like, you know, a Poirot mystery is writ large. Um, yes, um, Murder on the Orient Express came out. Yes, it was horrible. It made me want to die. Um, yes, they're making a sequel. That makes me freaking cringe. But, but, um, generally speaking, this essentially has brought back to prominence, huge prominence, um, you know, the, the murder mystery sort of Agatha Christie vibe on the big screen. And so for that to have happened, but for it to not be the kind of murder mystery with the kind of joys of murder mysteries that I love is a very bittersweet pill to swallow. And so for me, the artfulness of it, the brilliance of it, the 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 house and how it's a character of its own um the secret passageways the way that all the 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 knife chair and the and the secret room in the attic and the and the little stash that be that is just a marijuana stash but later it becomes prominent and the way all of these old tropes of mystery fiction have been updated to modern day and all the cast that he brought in for this sensational cast right um it's just everything is firing on all cylinders and it's a fantastic, beautifully built, perfectly made movie that I just didn't like as much as I think 99% of other people like. So I respect it for its art. I respect it for its craft. I respect it for what it's doing for the genre. And I love a lot of things about it. But as a sheer murder mystery plot to enjoy, I didn't really like it. Now, that being said, I watched it again recently, much like with Joker, and I actually enjoyed it maybe more the second time because I knew I wasn't going to get what I wanted. Um, so I got to just watch it on its own terms. Um, and I think that was really helpful. The other thing that hurt it for me too, I don't mean to go on a whole like essay here, but the other thing that hurt it for me a little bit too was that I know the tropes of murder mystery so well. I'm on the level there. Um, so when I see a medicine bottle fall over and they do a quick pan to show you the medicine labels like i know that's significant like immediately Be- and, and maybe a lot of other people do too but i'm extra keyed in on that shit and so that makes it more fun on one hand but on the other hand when you know what to look for it's harder to fool you and so that's why that also hurt my sort of overall enjoyment of it a little bit but even though i have a love-hate relationship even though I, there's a lot of issues that I have with it, even though I wasn't able to enjoy it as much as I think you were, Kevin, and getting to sit near you and watch you have that that incredible fun watching it was a great experience that I wish I could have had myself. Um, I still think it's a really excellent movie that's starting a series, and I'm hoping that the the he's making a sequel, right, with Benoit Blanc as a detective, and I'm hoping that 
I mean, obviously one of the, the main sort of elements that makes this Knives Out franchise Knives Out is subverting murder mystery form. But I hope that the next subversion doesn't involve giving away the plot 40 minutes in. And that's kind of my my final take on that. So anyway, all of that said, all of that messiness for me, Knives Out is my number two best movie of 2019. <laughs> Rich, I'm just uh, laughing. So far, two of your top three, you've criticized heavily. But <laughs> I mean, you know, I don't know what to tell you. I don't it know works. what to tell you. Yeah, but, yeah. I, know. Um, I think for me... Uh, I, I, I really liked Nizad. I thought it was fun. And I think for me, I, I just, maybe it hit me differently. Like there was no point where I thought, ah, we know everything. I, I was like from when it was revealed what had happened, quote unquote, I was assuming there was probably either some other twist or some other killer. So I was always like keyed in. I didn't necessarily think it was a why done it in the same way. So maybe it just hit differently or the way I was viewing it the first time where I thought there's probably another killer. And it so, was just so a matter of That's so kind of how I was, yeah. But, but what I did know was how he died. I knew how he died. I may not have known what happened with the bottles. I certainly knew that somebody removed the, uh, um, the, the, the savior uh, thing. That was obvious. Like she's a great nurse. There's no way. Like I knew that somebody was responsible behind the scenes. But th- there's there's something about murder mysteries where when you see the flashbacks and they show you the murderer committing the crime and you actually see, like, imagine this scene. If in the scene with, um, you know, it, you know, in the end of a really good murder mystery, you actually get to see the killer and like they show you them from behind and then they do a pan around and you see their face and it's like, oh, my God, fuck, he was in the room. What a monster. You know, and look, he's got about, oh my God, that's how it happened. That's what happened in that room. But you know what happened in that room. Yes, there were machinations outside of that room you don't know about, but you know damn well what happened to that guy. And so that was what was stolen from me. But I get your point. Gotcha. I get your um, point. Yeah, I won't belabor it. I, I, I've, it just, yeah, it struck me differently. I, I thought I, you know, I wasn't necessarily looking for any specific experience. I was just looking for a Ryan Johnson experience, and yeah. I, I definitely got that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. No, I, I hear you. Everybody likes that movie more than me, so. All right. Uh, well, next up is our most surprising movie, which takes us back to Kevin. Okay, so this is a movie I was – it's an animated movie I was genuinely mad at when they announced. I was like, why are they making that? God, like the third one ends it perfectly – Toy Story 4, Um, it was, I really was planning on not to, I didn't even see it right when I came out, and I mean, I'm a huge Pixar fan, but I had to be, like, um, I think the week it came out, I saw that, um, what's the, the Dead Don't Die instead, which I I like that one too, Um, but I had to be, like, convinced to see it, because I'm like, no, I'm not supporting that, like, it ends perfectly with three, there's no reason for this movie to exist, and then everyone was saying, no, it's actually really good. So eventually I saw it and I mean, it's definitely not my favorite Toy Story movie, um, but it defied my it was well, it was better that it has any right to be. I mean, like, I still think the main story ends with the third one um, and it's a perfect um, encapsulation of the whole cast. This one is more of a Woody Swan song movie and it's a cool story. I think they did a really great job and the animation is spectacular and it's very enjoyable. And um, and I, I watched it again recently with my parents. They really liked it. And it's like, I mean, it's very fun. I mean, Pixar is always evolving with animation. But for one that, like, I was genuinely upset when they announced it. So I'm like, gosh, you're such like, you're just going to full cash grab. 
um, and like they're gonna butcher it. They, you know, they. I mean, the writers did a really good job telling a story that, yeah, I still don't think was like necessary. And it's, and I mean, all the the other toys are more just kind of there, kind of supporting characters. And Buzz is really only there for like comedic relief. But, um, but it's a really good like, okay, what happens to Woody next when um, his, you know, his kid really isn't in, that into him, and um, he's trying to find his own way after that, and. You know, it's it's almost like the Logan of the Toy Story universe. So, um, <laughs> I mean, it, in that sense, like, um, so it's very fun. It it surprised me, and that uh, I did enjoy it. And you know, again, I think the the main trilogy will always be um, there for me, a special place for me. Um, and I'm sure you know they'll keep making them. But um, but this was you know as good of a job they could do with um, in terms of taking the story in a di- in a new direction and. Um, and again, the animation spectacular. There's a lot of really fun moments. So, Toy Story Four is my most surprising. Um, that's a good. That's a good pick. I, I was definitely of the mind that I was like, it, it's good. I, I thought it was a solid movie, but uh, yeah, it, it it felt needless to a degree. But what right. what's been interesting? We've actually been rewatching the Toy Stories, and well, Buzz gets, I think, a lot of focus because he was the one of the stars of the first movie. But they're they're always really kind of Woody's movies. They are, um, yeah, sure. Is what's been interesting. It's like it's always about his crisis of crisis of existence and right. what his role is. Um, and yeah, I think it reflects. I think what's really interesting about Pixar is because it's been such a consistent creative team for twenty years. You can see their interest shifts. I think a lot of their more recent movies have been more about parenthood and like empty nesting and like what it means to do that. And it's it's an interesting shift. Um, and, and then you have movies like Coco where you have like their younger guard that are doing the newer, like the younger focus stories. But I, I think it's just a matter of age and they, they see this as the characters through which they can tell those stories. Right. Right. Absolutely. So, um, but yeah. Uh, Rich, what about you? Um, okay. So for a surprise, um, I picked El Camino. Um, and, uh, the surprise there was how much I enjoyed it. <laughs> when when I heard that they were going to do that, um, I always tell you this story, Jordan. It's a very weird story, but like I was sure that they had shown us in this in the Breaking Bad finale, like a flash forward to a happy ending for Jesse, and it was him doing woodwork. Turns out I rewatched that. It's in the middle of the episode, and it's a flashback to him while he's in the cage. He flashes back to doing woodwork in like high school. One of the happy moments that he actually had in his crazy fraught life, um, and so knowing that I, there wa- that I actually was was not I had not been given this happy ending for him, it was great to see him earn it. It's one of those things, you know. Much like Better Call Saul, it has no need to exist, but now that it does. It's great, and and I haven't seen Better Call Saul. That's just what people tell me is that like it's one of those things. It, yeah. It's it's fantastic. You know, it yeah. would have yep. been fine if it had never been there. But at the same time, it's so good that like thank God it's there. You know, it's definitely I don't know, it, it's just one of those things. And yeah. so El Camino is one of those like Breaking Bad does not need a coda. I truly got the sense when Jesse was driving away from from you know that horrible captivity. That he was free. I was sure of that. Um, but now I'm even more sure. And I just can't believe how much I enjoyed it. It flew by. Um, and Breaking Bad was always a hard show to watch for me just because it's so tense and so intense. And I yeah. empathize with, with him so much. Uh, every time he picked up that meth pipe, I was like, no, put it down, <laughs> no. 
Um, and so this was hard to revisit him being vulnerable again, but boy, did I enjoy it. It was fantastic. Just surprised how much I enjoyed it. So that was my pick. Nice. Uh, yeah, it was a nice surprise, both literally and figuratively, since it was announced like a month before it came out that it even existed. (laughs) And they went really hard. They actually had like New Mexico tourism ads printed up to mislead people about why like the movie vans were there. And some, some big ruse was perpetrated or else people would have known, you know? Yeah. Um, so for me, this isn't like one of the greatest movies I saw this year or last year. It just, it was surprising because I, I just had no assumption it was going to be at all worthwhile. Um, but my most surprising movie of, uh, 2019 was detective Pikachu. Um, I think, you know, video game movies as a general rule are pretty bad. Um, and now I think we've gotten a one-two punch last year and this year between Detective Pikachu and Sonic of uh, movies that, again, aren't, like, high art, but are fun and do do right by the source material in ways that a lot of video game movies never have. Um, and I think Detective Pikachu did that. I thought it looked cute. I thought Ryan Reynolds' Detective Pikachu was going to be fine and fun. but And, you know, that's what the movie is. But I, I think that's kind of a minor miracle for a video game movie to be, like, just an entertaining time. Um, I enjoyed it. The mystery was, like, very straightforward and easy to figure out. But, you know, it was it was good. The Pokemon realized in, like, full 3D realistic renders was actually pretty well done. And, and seeing some of my favorites. There actually were a couple of solid twists um very minor but but well executed one major one hmm one major one the end um i i meant smaller things like the uh his his ditto being the like secret agent and things oh. like that yeah yeah but but no i just i thought it was a fun movie i would watch it again the performances were all solid and again all of that i think is is just an achievement for a video game movie. And, and again, I don't think it was like the biggest surprise ever, but there really wasn't a lot this year for me. It was like the movies I thought were going to be good ended up being good. And the movies I thought were going to be bad ended up being bad. And the only other surprises, uh, lead us kind of into our next category. So rich, what was your most disappointing movie of, uh, 2019? Okay. So I have two for this one. Um, and my worst, by the way, was my (laughs) most, most, most disappointing probably. Although, Oh, sure. Um, but but we're gonna say disappointing in terms of it's not necessarily terrible. It's just disappointing. I mean, I had a I had a, almost a tie, um, but I'm gonna say one definitely took the the prize, and that was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm. So I I think this movie is stunningly average. Um, I just and a little too long, um, and really indulgent. Now, if I were if I were in Hollywood and I and this was a I hate to say it, we all use it, it's just shorthand. It's a love letter to Hollywood of a certain era, right? Um I I get that, and if I were a sixty year old movie producer in Hollywood, like I would dig that. Watching her go and say, Oh, it's me in the poster and watch herself and eat popcorn with a little smile on her face while her character is on screen doing kung fu, wearing fifties clothing. <laughs> You know, like, that's cute, and I get that for some people that resonates super deep and moves them. To me, I just think it's just a pretty flat, you know, pretty entertaining, kind of good movie, pretty good performances, you know. Um, 
it just and then the ending i didn't mind it i know it's divisive in its way i you know i i'm okay with how it ended it you know when i see clips of it i chuckle and smile a little bit because i don't sorry not to interrupt no, I, I always i find the ending hate I, I i don't know why people are surprised by the ending because in a lot of ways it's the same ending as inglorious bastards but anyway yeah, I, I mean, it's it it's just it, it is what it is. And, and, you know, I, you know, rewriting history, I get that for people that that's really important to that that's a problem. But a lot of movies do it. I guess this one's just I don't know. I don't want I don't want to litigate that. But I just want to say that, like, no, nothing about, like that really bothered me about it. And it was a perfectly bland, enjoyable time. But for a filmmaker like Tarantino and a topic like this, I just thought I was going to be engrossed and enthralled and just loving it. And it just didn't have any of that impact on me. So that's why that picks my most disappointing. The other one that's a close second is also not a bad movie. It's Us. I just don't like it that much. And I watched it and I was just like, wow, this is so and, – and by the way, you know, following up the movie that it follows up is i mean it's impossible you know i mean you can't fight that movie is 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 a masterpiece it's brilliant it's incredibly well done um the twists and turns and just just excellent excellent movie campy but brilliant i love it us is just i i I, it's got plot holes for for days you know it's got and way beyond me being able to you know uh stretch my my uh uh benefit of the suspension of disbelief yes way too far it just makes no sense um and and coming from a movie the previous movie which i thought held together pretty well i mean you know it has little plot holes but overall holds together really well and just driven by great performances this one i mean it's got good performances in it and stuff but i just think it's just nowhere even close to compares to to its predecessor and for that reason was disappointing for me pretty okay i enjoyed it um you know yeah, no, I think those are both solid picks. Uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, to me, was um, – that's Tarantino writing a love letter to himself. It's, I think it's the most self-indulgent movie he's made, and I, I think – I compare it to, like, The World's End, which is probably my least favorite Edgar Wright movie, but it's also a movie that's very specifically about being, like, in your 40s. And so I just can't connect to it on the same level as some of his more general stuff. That doesn't make it a bad movie necessarily. It's just not – aimed at me and i think once upon a time in hollywood even more so because of that 60s focus so yeah uh yeah um but yeah uh for me my most disappointing movie um this is a pretty straightforward one i don't have a whole lot to say about it just um you know when you see the follow-up to the director who made one of your favorite movies of all time working in a different genre with different intentions you know, it, it makes you realize whether you actually – how much you actually like their work or how much you just liked that one movie. So for me, um, the uh, most disappointing movie of the year was uh, Under the Silver Lake. Oh, I, yeah. I started uh, okay. it. Yeah, I started yeah. it. And, um, and, 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 and it was just like – it was almost like, like pornographic in the first 10, 15 minutes. Um, uh, anyway. It, you know, it follows as one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, it's very high on my list of favorite horror movies, very high on my favorite list of movies. I love It Follows, and it had things to say. And I, I don't think Under the Silver Lake doesn't have things to say, but it's so weirdly cryptic. And Andrew Garfield is great in it, but plays like a deeply unlikable character. Um, 
And it feels again, it also has that specificity issue of feeling like very much about L.A. and L.A. culture. Um, and so, you know, it's just a very weird movie. It I, I didn't care for it. I think it has that. It's not even his sophomore director. I, I think of a sophomore like grab as like you've made a movie that really got you to blow up because it follows in his first movie. But it follows as a movie that like gave him the clout to kind of make whatever movie he wanted to. Um and I think this is the movie he made. And yeah, it feels like a passion project where I'm just not as passionate about it as I was. It follows. I feel like us is similar. Like it, it is the movie that he really wanted to make. Cause he had the clout now. And, and I like us more than, than you did. I, I thought it was really good, but I think that's that general sense where it's like, it, it's a very personal project in a way that I maybe don't connect with, but you know, I'm, I'm good for him that he got it made. Yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, that was my most disappointing. Uh, Kevin? Gotcha. Well, I don't think this is too surprising. Um, it's not my worst, because there's still plenty of things I like about it. I rewatched it recently. But, I mean, as a lifelong Star Wars fan, it, the fact that The Rise of Skywalker is the end we get to the Skywalker saga is very disappointing for me. So, you know, I mean, it's there's still a lot of cool elements of it. And I feel like when I first came out of the theater, I saw it with Rich and, like, I, you know, I was like, eh, that was like, you know, it was definitely a lot of plot holes, but like, eh, it was all right overall. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, yeah. This, and this then when we found like, out, a narrative. and then when we found out the movie that, that it could have yeah. been. And that, I think that's where the icing on the cake right there is like when we, when they released the treatment for Colin Trevorrow's, I'm like, oh, that would have been so much better. Um, so, I mean, I'll always love Star Wars and it's not like it tainted anything for me, but it's just disappointing that like. You know, a movie as messy as this one is like the conclusion to the Skywalker saga. And like, it's impossible to not think about all the corporate drama behind it. And, you know, I mean, just the fact that so much of it is backtracking on Last Jedi, not even subtly, but just like very much in your face. And so, yeah, it's unfortunate. I mean, like I said, I did rewatch it recently just to see. And there's still there's a lot of fun stuff in there. But again, all the fan service elements in it are there without really in any kind of cohesive, satisfying narrative. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I like, I, I mean, I, I love, you know, the scenes with Ray and Kylo and, um, you know, there's a lot of really cool imagery, but a lot of the pacing is exhausting. The script is a mess. And so, yeah. Uh, so that is my most disappointing, but, um, all right. Well, uh, next up would be worst, and uh, that that starts with me. And I, I have two, and I, I have to. I'll go quick because uh, one of them, I one of them is just the worst to me, and one of them is actually probably the worst movie I saw this year. The worst movie I saw this year, factually, is Dark Phoenix. Yeah, um, it was apps. It was just like nothing. It, it was it was just we we made this movie because we have to keep this license, and we have contractually obligated these people to make this movie, and. Um, we're going to we're going to reshoot it so that it's even less cosmic and interesting and our final <laughs> fight's going to be on a train and it's going to indulge every worst impulse of this franchise over the past 17 years um it, it it's i think it's the worst movie in the whole franchise i i thought it was it was terrible it was very bad um but i had no expectations for it to be good uh it looked like it was going to be a bad movie and it was um Rise of Skywalker, though, was just it, it, it was such for what it was ending, for how dismissive it was of like actually good. And I'm, I wasn't a Last Jedi like super fan coming out of it. If you listen to our review of it, 
I had problems with it. But ultimately, it is an interesting movie that does new things and has things to say. And people who say that it, like, ruins characters just, you know, like, are, are, are hurt that the characters they, they loved in very specific times in their lives grow and change. I think it does good things with Luke and interesting things. Yeah. Um, but even if you want to argue all of that, the fact that The Rise of Skywalker spends just so much of its runtime saying, nope, this movie was bad and wrong and <laughs> we're going to ignore it and we're going to rewrite stuff and we're going to just completely eviscerate character motivations and arcs and then also just have the stupidest logic and like plot holes and issues. And, you know, we had a whole conversation, the three of us, that sadly was not recorded. We just talked about the movie because we wanted to talk about it. Um, so I won't go. I won't belabor the point too much. But it, it like Rise of Skywalker in my heart was the worst movie of last year. If not, I can actually say was the worst movie of last year because it still has a budget. It still has some exciting moments. Um, but God, we yeah, we, we talked for like two hours and, and we should have recorded it, but we didn't. Uh, I, I it just I, it's such it's a bad terrible. movie. It's terrible. Um, it, I'm going to just yeah. say it, it's my worst. Um, and and the reason that it's my worst is because of a lot of reasons. One of which is the Colin Trevorrow thing. What was it? The fate of the Furies, or what was the name? Duel of the Fates. Duel which of is, the Fates, dude. Which, which is the name of the iconic theme from Phantom Menace when they have the duel with Darth with Darth Maul. So, yeah, uh, I mean, it, it's it, yeah. it, 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 it it leans back on history. When you hear when you have you read the treatment, Jordan? Uh, I've read it a little. Yeah, it's got good. Yeah. It's got good stuff. It's really it's, cool. Maybe really it would have been messed up. That's the thing. It's like, who knows? But yeah, no, no, I'm not saying I'm not saying it would have been a masterpiece. I'm sure there was reasons Kathleen Kennedy had had pause. But, but it was a story. The and it story had was interesting. And, yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and to just sort of drop in the, 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 the completely out of whole cloth thing about Palpatine, just he's back and here's how he did it. And the whole fleet is just back from zero to a thousand, um, you know, at the beginning of the movie. It's it's just it once you had I get it you know how much I love Last Jedi I think it's a masterpiece in a lot of ways minus maybe the casino world but I think that once that movie existed that's it the ship has sailed that's it it's done um, and there's nothing you can do that's part two of your trilogy you better fucking end that trilogy that's what you have to do you can't I don't care how much you may disagree with it I don't care how much fandom's pissed that is your artistic movie. You have to end that movie. And they refused to do it. They wouldn't do it. They 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 had to retcon so much stuff. Not only that, but as I was watching it, I wasn't enjoying myself. I made the comment before that I left the theater and literally three or four set changes <laughs> happened in five-minute bathroom run. And if anybody wants to know when that is so you can have the same experience, it's when they land on that planet where they meet Carrie Russell's character. And then I, I go to the bathroom. I, I remember exactly what 3PO got his memory wiped. They found out she was still alive and they were aboard Kylo's ship all in like five, three, three minutes, five, five minutes. Yeah, 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 exactly. You're exactly right. I saw that cute little dude that was doing the memory wipe. I come back yeah. and like the entire plot had shifted. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and that is how rushed that that abomination of of a Star Wars movie is. Yes, like you said, it's got a budget. Yes, it's probably pretty fun to watch if I didn't have any expectations. Um, there's also really weird interactions. That underground scene was weird. People were acting funny in it. 
Like, there's so much to say about that movie, I won't belabor it. Certainly worst for the year for me. Harshly disappointing, but also just just yeah. bad. And that that is the culmination of a nine a nine episode a nine film. I mean, maybe that's just too much pressure. Um, I don't know. What was um, uh, yours, Kevin? Kevin. Yeah, Kevin. And this will be. I, a, a, we'll stop. I worked. Okay. So my worry, like I said, I mean, Skywalker is disappointing, but at the and I'm not gonna like argue any of the points you guys just said. I just like, but at least again, as a Star Wars fan, I can just like turn my mind off, and enjoy elements of it, whatever. One, but one blockbuster that I mean, similar to Jordan's feelings are, are on Dark Phoenix. That's a terrible movie too. But one I like, I mean, I genuinely could have walked out of is the Hellboy remake. It was just, I mean, like I um, is and it that's really one, that bad. I hated it. I mean, actually, Young said he thought it wasn't that Are bad. Are you sure you don't just hate it because of how much you love the other one? Are you sure? No, it's a, no, it's a bad movie. Okay. I, I, like, because I know I, the thing is, even though I love the Perlman ones, I was still excited for this one because I'm like, okay, as much as I love, I mean, because I'm a fan of the comics and the movies. The, as much as I love the Del Toro Perlman movies, they are very different from the comics, and like, they're more fun and. Um, kind of like playful and you know they i mean they're not nearly as dark and gritty as the comics so when I, they announced that they were going to make an r-rated more horror-esque hellboy i was very excited so like i mean because i you know again i love those ones but like i was all for a new direction and i think you know the saving grace of the movie is that david arbor is excellent as the, as hellboy and he looks the part and everything but um it is just a terrible movie of like there, the story is so uh, messed up. There's like, and it's not at all horror. It's like, it's like Deadpool, but uh, like, it's like they, they, everyone, it's like they capitalized on the success of Deadpool because that was an R-rated comic movie, and they tried to mimic that, and they made the character not at all like who he is, uh, you know, in the books, or and it just did not feel like, and that's the thing. It both tried to mimic the best parts of the del toro movies failing miserably at it and um capitalize on deadpool and even it doesn't even look good the effects i think are pretty terrible it wasn't entertaining in the least bit for me you don't get to know the characters again i don't even remember really what the plot was it was something about some dark sorcerer thing he's trying to find i don't remember it was crap but um no that was easily the worst for me so I think it was about Jordan. Did you end up seeing it? I have not seen it yet. I'd like to. I think it's on HBO. Yeah, maybe. Maybe I'll give it like, yeah, I, I did not enjoy it at all. And I, if I if the theater had had if like if it's a projector that issues and it turned off halfway through, I would have not been disappointed. I would have not, you know, gone to see either rest of it. That's wow. true. That's like I don't think I've ever heard you say that about anything. That is. Woo. Yeah, it that's, was bad. That's hardcore. So. Okay, so we are now on to our number one best movie of 2019. Jordan, who goes first? Uh, I think next up should be uh, Kevin. Yeah, right. Kevin would be next. Kevin, up. take it. Take All it right. Away. And hit us with your honorable mentions honorable if you have mentions any. As well, okay, so um, most of them I've already mentioned, like Fighting With My Family, I really enjoyed. Knives Out, um, Booksmart, which I know will be on someone else's list here. Um, that was fantastic. Um, and, uh, John Wick 3 was perfect action movie. Um, and then don't criticize me listeners out there, but I'm putting Parasite on honorable mentions just because I think it's unequivocally the best movie of the year. Um, it's just like when we're looking at personal favorites, 
I have to give my personal favorite to Avengers Endgame. And, um, you know, I think Jordan already hit on it a little earlier in the episode. But when you look at, you know, what makes a great epic movie event blockbuster that is the encapsulates 10 years of storytelling. And, you know, I saw it three times in theaters and uh, again, multiple times at home. And it's one of those like it just reminds me why I love the Marvel Cinematic Universe and blockbusters and superhero movies, because it you know, and I like we were talking about with Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, we were kind of bashing on it. But, you know, to be fair, ending a long running saga or a TV show is very hard. And, you know, I mean, that doesn't justify Rise of Skywalker, but it, it's a hard feat. And what Endgame does in that regard, you know, I mean, going back to the moment where the iconic moment where Cap gets the Thor hammer, the reason that moment is so iconic and everyone cheered is because it is a reflection of 10 years of storytelling, 10 years of characters we've come to love on screen. And it is such a huge payoff. Um, and whereas, like, I think with Rise of Skywalker, an example, it's an example of they tried to do that with moments like when Poe sees, you know, Orlando and the fleet come to the rescue. But it's not anywhere near as cathartic because he doesn't have an emotional connection to Lando as a character. And it's just kind of like shoehorned in there. So whereas in moments like that and when um, Cap is standing before Thanos's army and he gets the call from Sam Wilson, everyone cheers again because that moment means everything to the character. And so it's a, that movie is just proof that you can make a big epic event blockbuster and have it be very much about characters and about story. And I'm not going to say it's perfect by any means. I mean, the time travel is still pretty clunky and, you know, it's still, it's annoying a little bit that they went with both Hulk and Thor as over comedic, comedic relief um, further and like made them both pretty dopey. But still, you know, when you look at all the movies that came before it and how it ties everything together and, you know, concludes this phase of the MCU, um, it's just one of those that, like, I, that it was the best time I had at the theater all all of last year. Um, it's, you know, uh, you know I, I don't want to hammer on it too much. But, yeah, and similar to, like, what you said, Rich, about um, Anthony and Joe Russo as the best directors for your category, you know, it, it is a feat what they did. And um, also them and screenwriters Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely. So, yeah, for all those reasons, I'm going to give make Endgame my favorite movie of the year. Um, again, I think Parasite is unequivocally the best but and i'm definitely going to watch it multiple times again but if we're picking favorites you got to go to endgame so there's my pick so so wait remind me your top three my top three so endgame jojo rabbit and blinded by the light so wait 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 oh okay so you didn't even give you liked blind you 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 favorited blinded by the light more than parasite yeah but that's again <laughs> it's like personal favorites and it's like fair. I, it's fair. Yeah. I mean, that's and like it was a like it was just a great experience for me and my parents there. And yeah. it was uplifting. Uh, it made you feel it, a certain way. And, and, and exactly. what, what are movies, but how they're supposed to make you feel right? Exactly. Exactly. And so that it's no it's, like it's no dis to Parasite anyway. I mean, I love that movie and I think it's an amazing achievement. Um, Parasite. I just I just got a text. Parasite uh, creators are really upset because they just heard that you didn't put it on your list, man. I know, I know. They're, they're really yeah, they're bummed gonna... about it. They heard they I know they they heard that you said it's not a diss, but they're taking it that way. 
Oh, I'm prepared for the backlash. It's all good. Understood. But, yeah. Understood. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Nice pick, man. Nice pick. Who's next? Uh, Rich, you're up. All right. All right. Cool. Um, so I did pick Parasite as my number sure. one. Um, not surprising. Um, what I think is the best thing, there's so many things that are great about it. We talked about the cast. We talk about, or we didn't talk too much about the cast, so let me spend a minute to say, every one of those roles from the wealthy uh, parents um, to that girl who everyone ends up having a crush on for no discernible reason, but like, I've known girls like that, right? Um, and, and, and you know, the, the tutor kid and how he and the sister and the father and mother, but especially the, the, the son and the sister, how, how well they showed the, sort of the theme of when you are left to your own devices to become intelligent and smart and, and, and world-wise, you just gained supernatural powers almost. And that's what I get out of that, out of that movie is, is, is that you know they showed people in very difficult situations you know, rising above and actually outsmarting in every way, shape, and form people that have the money, the privilege, the status, all of that stuff. Um, and and I love that. I love that, you know, they showed that people can be really resourceful even if they don't necessarily have all of the, the opportunity. Um, so in that way, it's kind of an equal opportunity movie. Now, yes, they show um, the wealthy people to have lots of real bad foibles. They're not awesome. They're not detestable, though. Um, you can, there's characteristics there, um, that you can kind of understand where they're coming from at times. Um, so I think it, you know, it obviously has a statement to make about, you know, you know, inequality and, and, and things like that. But at the same time, um, it's not too heavy handed and going along with that, the not too heavy handed statement, it's also a movie that's incredibly fun to watch and tense and heartbreaking all at once. Like for example, and I've thought more about this as time has gone on, but that incredible sort of theme of do you plan your life or do you let things just happen? And I think the case that's made in this movie is success in many ways comes from being willing to plan and then also having the personal resilience to accept if those plans fall through. Because you see in that scene in the um, uh, gym, I think it's a gymnasium, uh, where they go during the flood, and the father says, you know, there's no reason to plan anything. Why bother? Nothing good is ever going to come. And then in the very end of the movie, the son says, you know what, Dad? I'm going to get you out of there, and the way I'm going to do it, I'm making a plan, right? And so it's just, it brings full circle this idea of, you know, having the guts to make a plan is a really difficult thing to do. And so that also kind of gives weight to what I'm saying about it being kind of a fair story. Yes, the, the, the unfortunate family doesn't have a lot of the opportunities that would make life so much easier if you have them. But that said, there's some fault in the father's part in that he has been disappointed and he didn't have the resilience to just keep trying to fight. Um, and there's arguments to be made on both sides. He certainly, they certainly fight a lot with their, with their con that they pull. But I think that theme of planning versus not being willing to plan because you think everything is kind of predetermined and unfair anyway um, is just really interesting. And that was just three minutes on one little idea in that movie that's full of big ideas like that. So from the, from the cast to the tone, I called out the cinematography earlier. The visuals are gorgeous. Um, and, and I just think it's unbelievable that it won Best Picture. I just think that's so cool. Not Best Foreign Film, um, but Best Picture. What do, they, what do they call it? Best International Cinema? What is it now, Jordan? 
Oh, you'd have to ask Kevin. I don't follow the Oscars closely <laughs> enough. It's best foreign film, but it won that too. Is it? It won. No, 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 no. But I thought it. I thought they changed the name of best foreign film. Uh, uh, not that I know of, but I don't. I haven't watched the Oscars in a while either. Okay. I kind of fit. Anyway, I, I anyway, still, but it's but really cool that it won that category of best picture. Right. Um, when, oh, I looking, when I was looking up, when I was looking for every year when I do my list, um, I go to Wikipedia. And now I think this is a change. Now, when you look at the films by year, you actually have to pick what country they come from. Um, and so you can't see Parasite if you just click on the American films list, which is really interesting. Um, and when you do click on like the South Korean films list, it's really it's amazing to see there's a whole world of film that I never experience. Um, so I'm sure I'm sure Parasite is probably you know one of the best, if not the best, South Korean film. But I'm sure there's lots of real quality in there. So that's just interesting and a little interesting aside. But anyway, for all those reasons and a million more, but most of all, um, the constant way that movie keeps you guessing and then once it once it reveals its hand, it makes perfect sense. I love it. It's great. Parasite number one. Nice. Very good. Um, so, yeah, uh, honorable mentions for... Me, like I said, I, I agree with both of your number one picks as being solid. Avengers Endgame, like I said, was a, a just an inimitable experience of a film. Um, I mean, the only other cl- film I think comes close was the first Avengers and seeing that in theaters. Yeah. Um, Parasite was obviously fantastic. And again, I would I'd say we could all agree is like technically the best film of last year. Um, and, you know, just does a great job of, of highlighting how capitalism is an inherently unfair system that purports itself as otherwise. And, and I really enjoyed everything about that movie. Um, some other movies I had for honorable mentions, um, you know, like I said, knives out, um, ready or not uncut gems. Little women was great. Um, I was good. So. Yeah. yeah. Ready or not is good. Ready or not was great. Yeah. What is, that? um, it's a, it's the, horror movie about the woman who marries into the family that's like the game company but they have to play like a game on the wedding night and when she draws uh hide and seek it's like they they have to kill her before the night's out to secure their fortune oh wow it sounds awesome yes it was a really good time um let's see i literally have my whole list so i just want to make sure i shout out anything else uh for the most part i thought it was a pretty good year in film um yeah, I guess that is – that's all the big ones. Um, my number one, though, was the – you know, if if you know me, and I don't know that my work has fully gotten there yet, but pretty much most of the things I'm working on right now focus on teenagers, focus on coming of age. Um, you know, some of my favorite movies are coming of age or teenage, like, fun comedies. Um, and this year I saw not necessarily the most – Relatable. I still think Edge of Seventeen is the movie that like cl- most closely matches my own feeling of being a teenager. But my number one movie for the year was Booksmart. Uh, I I thought just beginning to end, it was hilarious. It was heartfelt. It did a great job of just like busting all sorts of like stereotypes that usually show up in teen movies and giving all of its characters like across the board depth. Um, and if you don't know, which I, I think I mentioned it a little bit, it is the story of two girls who spent all of high school like focusing on academics and not partying or really like, having much of a social life outside of like their own friendship because uh, they wanted to do better than like the kids that goof off and, and slack around in class. 
Um, but they and party all the time, and they end up finding out that those same kids are, you know, they also have good grades and they're going to good colleges or getting great jobs. And so, um, one of them has like a freak out and decides this it's their last night. They're going to have the party. They're going to party for all four years that they've missed, and it's just – it's like that one crazy night movie, which is a genre I also love. But it's them going and trying to connect with the classmates they have ignored and, and finding out new things about them and having new experiences. And, like, it, it's it's very much just a, a very fun movie, but it's also just an extremely well-done movie. The script is great. Uh, the performances across the board are super strong. I mentioned Billy Lord is my favorite actress for playing a relatively small character in this movie. Um, it's got a great soundtrack that really captures... Billy Lord is not one of the two girls? No. She's one of the supporting characters. Uh, the main girls are played by Beanie Feldstein and uh, Caitlin Dever. Dever? Dever. I don't know. Caitlin Dever. Um who you've probably seen elsewhere recently because Caitlin Dever was in um, the Netflix miniseries Unbelievable. Beanie Feldstein's on um, What We Do in the Shadows. Uh, they've both just kind of been having a good, a really good last year. I saw that. Um, I saw um, – what was the first one you mentioned? Unbelievable. Yeah, I saw that. It was great. Um, have, you see, uh, have you seen What We Do in the Shadows? Yes. Is that a good show? I, I've been wanting to know if I should watch it. Yeah, it's very good. Okay, cool. Uh, new season, I think, is this week. But um, yeah, Booksmart also cinematography is fantastic, and it has some. There, there's a sequence in a pool that is one of the. It just captures the the sense of joyful freedom that is it, that is like the whole point of the movie in a way, letting yourself enjoy things. But it's also about saying goodbye and like the end of a chapter of your life because they're about to go off to college and have to leave each other, and it's it, it it's just a great film. It's Olivia Wilde's directorial debut, and she does a phenomenal job. Um, it was I, – I just remember walking out of the theater absolutely in love with the movie. I rewatched it. Um, I saw it a second time in theaters, which is very rare because I saw it with my mom when I was home over the summer. Because it's that good. Lo- yeah, loved it just as much. I own it, um, and it's a movie I'll revisit. And, yeah, it was just it, – in terms of, of just, like – Joy in terms of technical skill, I think altogether, like on the on the scale, both favorite and best. It both it was very high on both, and just overall, it was my favorite film of the year. So that was my number one book smart. Is it super fun to watch? Because I I've been meaning oh, to yeah. sit down and check oh, it out yeah. and, just, and just have a good time. Yeah, it is. No, and actually, Jordan too. Uh, the thing about like the re- relatability, I what I liked about that and Edge of Seventeen so much is like. Because as I love coming of age movies too, and I think a lot of them are so stuck in the '80s, whereas like those two reflect a more modernized high school experience, which I really like. You know, and I mean, just the scenes in Booksmart with the theater kids and all that. I'm like, that is so like my high school um, yeah. I'm a theater kid. So just that like it's like that is just so relatable and absolutely, it's so visually striking. That's the thing. Like, it's it's kind of hard to find comedies that are really creative. From a visual standpoint, you know, I mean, that's like why I love Edgar Wright movies so much. So, yeah, great. Another, yeah, another thing that's great about it is that it it's so modern. Um, and it and the, the like the big two R-rated comedies of this year that were youth focused were that and Good Boys, um, which is another honorable mention because Good Boys was a lot of fun. But they were both really good at being. They never punch down, which is a thing I think. Even even some of the current R-rated comedies have a problem with doing, and they both were very positive. There were like no, they, they, it, it just felt more inclusive while still being raunchy and dirty and 
Um, again, it's, it kind of goes back not to not to harp back on Joker, but it's like you know, oh, you can't make a comedy without offending people anymore. And it's like, no, you can. And and Booksmart and Good Boys are the sort of movies that can do that while still being raunchy and fun. And so, yeah, that that's what I liked so much about that movie, both those movies, but Booksmart in particular. Awesome, cool. Um, all right, well that uh, that wraps up our best of 2019 episode for film. Um, stay tuned. You may see some other best of 2019s if the uh, if the mood strikes us at some point. We we shall see. But uh, anything can happen in the uh, in the in the in the COVID shutdown. So uh, so stay tuned. Um, anything else you guys want to say just about the overall year of 2019 in, in wrapping? I a quick aside. I have to say the best thing to come out of Rise of Skywalker. I don't know if you guys have seen this, but Collider made a series of spoof videos with this guy who does a killer George Lucas impression. And like, so the first video is him watching and reacting to the rise of Skywalker trailer. It is so funny. So like, if you haven't checked those out, they're hilarious. Oh, I'm but, on it. I got to check like, that out like, for sure. It's like, like, like he's watching and he's like, Oh God, I'm so glad I didn't make this. And then like, um, but I mean, he looks like him and it's they're, they're hilarious. So anyway, that, but, uh, but no, overall, I think it was a really good year. I mean, um, like there were both blockbusters and, um, you know, quote unquote, more Oscar oriented and indie stuff that were all really good. So, you know, plenty of stinkers as well. But um, but yeah, no, I had I mean, I had definitely some great um, movie going experiences in 2019. And um, I am I, I was looking forward to a lot of movies in 2020. I had not right now. I don't know when we're going to see them because everything is delayed and I am like itching to get back into a movie theater but you know that is the we well, it'll probably be, it'll probably be may or well probably june at least until we're if back we, in theaters yeah. maybe oh, longer it, yeah. maybe longer yeah. so yeah um i wish i wish things could speed up i wish there was a magic cure overnight but hey hey no doom and gloom we're at the joy yep. geek podcast not possible jordan now anything we, you want to well, say about this year or last on film um you know, uh, last year was a pretty solid year. Uh, we got a lot of really good movies. And I, you know, there's still stuff happening this year. And even though most of the movies, it's funny, I, I subscribed to Fangoria and I got the, the April issue. And it's all of these movies that now just aren't coming out till who knows when that have these big spreads on them. Um, so it'll just be interesting to th- see how things shift, how things end up coming out, what weekends in the fall look like in terms of movie releases um and if we're even there by then but yeah. uh you know in the meantime there there are options yeah their video on demand is still a thing there are a lot of great movies that come out direct to blu-ray or that come out direct to streaming um and you know it, it's just a matter of, of finding what's out there you know uh we summon the darkness is a movie that just came out on video on demand that i want to rent and and so stuff's still coming and, uh, you know, it's just a matter of finding it I mean, yeah, or, or visiting some classics. Yeah, the, you know, the, there's the, plenty of stuff to look back at. The good flip side to it, if there is one, is that it's it's really a lot of time. I mean, to just go back and visit or catch up on things that you haven't had a chance to get to. So that part of it's pr- kind of cool. So while we have less options, you know, fewer options out in the world to go experience film, um, we have more time or most people have more time on the flip side to experience it at le- at home. So let's hope the internet stays up, right? And, uh, yeah. And march, and march forward. Cool. Well, hey, this was great, guys. Um, for the for the Joy of Geek podcast, I am Rich Lapore. Jordan Alseka. Kevin Shaver. We'll see you soon. Take have care. Have a good one.